lot of these late night movies with Rob and Zach. This is a podcast about cinematic oddities where we discuss any media that is too bizarre, abnormal, or off kilter for contemporary audiences. Occasionally, these projects gel. Most times, they crash hard into the realm of obscurity. Join us as we delve into the cult classic Swamp. I'm Zach. And I'm Rob. And this week on Cinemodities, I am a little sad to say that we are wrapping up the Mon Stober series. Uh, I would assume so, but let me ask him specifically. Zach, do you feel the same way? It's a little sad, right? Mon Stober is not a time of the year. It's a state of mind. So it never <laughs> ends. Okay, okay. I guess I have to work towards the appreciation for Mon Stober uh, that Zach has. But I guess in terms of this podcast, we won't be doing too many Monstober things in the near future after this episode, right? Give it time, folks. Give it time. Monstober will be back. Maybe a Give February it. Monstober. You know what? See, Zach, I'm glad you said that because I specifically refrained from mentioning this to Zach earlier. Peek behind the curtains. Um, I have a little bit of a choice of what we're going to do in the new year. Originally, our Cinemodities calendar ended on December 31st, 2018. Zach said, hey, Rob, you want to think of something to do for the month of January? And I said, I thought this was like the Mayan calendar and the world was going to end at the end of this year. But no, we get a new series. So I was thinking, what what about Jan Stover? How does that sound to you, Zach? <laughs> you don't like Jan? you don't like Jan Stover? Is Feb Stover any better? It's 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 it would be Monuary. Well, I like I think the the October part is the more important part to carry oh. over, not the monster part. Okay, well we we have to agree to disagree on that one. <laughs> Jan Tober, Jan Stober, Feb Stober, Feb it's Stober, the, Feb in, Stober, yeah. Feb Stober. Okay, well it's in the works. We'll see because I have to say, and this is going to be a great segue into what we're talking about today. I loved what we've talked about in Mon Stober this month. This maybe month plus a few. I, I think Goosebumps was before Mon Stober, um, but it's been yeah, it's like thirteen months ago at this point. Goosebumps. Yeah, yeah we, this it's been the Goosebumps. Uh, and Monstober podcast, you know, that's our whole life expectancy right here. I loved it. We've talked about creepy stuff. We've talked about unique stuff. Uh, we've talked about interesting stuff. And I have to say that that is, that's, that's why this podcast is so much fun that, you know, even when I'm not recording, I get to sit down and watch things that are actually enjoyable. I didn't think we were going to hit that stride like we're hitting it now when Zach gave me men, women, and children, but thankfully the pace picked up. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Zach, to bring up, to reopen old wounds for you over there. But Still a masterpiece. To bring us back to the wrap-up of Mon Stober, I know we've mentioned it before, we had, there's been so many thoughts for how to end Mon Stober, for Mon Stober in general. But Zach decided to do it with a TV show, with an anthology series. And I have to say, I love that. I think I've expressed my love of sketch comedy before on this podcast, that extends to anthology as well. I love short stories that I can just get a quick idea from and enjoy it. So, without giving anything else away, Zach, would you like to introduce our topic for this week? Oh boy, is this, a, this is a nice way to conclude Monstober. We are talking about, which you already know by clicking on this episode and seeing it is the title. I always feel bad when I like try and reveal things when... They clearly know about it. <laughs> it'll be called much like how one of the many iterations of Monster will be mystery title. You don't we're, know about it until right now. We're trying to put a show on for you folks, even if you might have the spoilers already. <laughs> we're going we're to shoot the SEO in the foot and just be mystery title, mystery, mystery movie. 
No, this week we're talking about the TV show Tales from the Dark Side. Right on. Which aired from 1983 until 1988. And oddly enough, one of the segments we'll be talking about, the pilot of Tales from the Dark Side, aired 35 years ago from the day this is going out. Oh my god, are you serious, Zach? Nope. The very this- trick. This is how you decided Monstover eventually, right? You were just I'm like, pretty, let's hit every anniversary possible. <laughs> pretty much. That's pretty much how a lot of Monstover, and actually a lot of things on this podcast are decided. It's like, okay, I really want to do, I'm, I'm deciding between choice A and B. What do I go with? Well, does it have an anniversary? If <laughs> yes, of course it has to be locked in. This has come up so many, time on, so many times on Cinemodities, but I have to be honest... I am never aware of it. I can never remember to look into this. And honestly, every time Zach gives me an anniversary, I'm blindsided by it. That's why I'm, I must sound so amazed. Because what, it's been like the last six episodes we've had some type of anniversary? It's ridiculous. Yes, Jason goes to hell. At one point, uh, one of the many iterations of Monstober was getting involved Beetlejuice, which was, which is experiencing its 30th anniversary freaked? this didn't year. We hit, didn't we hit Freaked? Freaked? Freaked's yeah. 25th anniversary. Oh my god. Mandy's, it's a one-month anniversary. (laughs) I love it, Zach. No, that's awesome. I really like that we did that. That's a great way to to bring Monstober together. But not to get too off-topic, I'm glad we have 35 years anniversary? Is what you said for Tales from the Dark Side? Yeah, from the pilot episode that aired October 29th, 1983. And like Zach said, that's one of the episodes we're going to be talking about. Yes. So, I'm going to have to do the Rob here. Rob, did you know anything about this show existing prior to watching it over the last few days? When Zach told me that this is what we were going to talk about and he sent me the four episodes we were going to discuss, I think I said to him, I think I know this show. As soon as I started watching it, I realized I did not know this show. I believe I did not do my research, but I believe I was confusing Tales from the Dark Side with Tales from the Crypt. Just in name. Um, I, I remember very vividly some Tales from the Crypt episodes at the same time. I don't even know if they were Tales from the Crypt. Who knows? So to answer your question, Zach, no. I honestly did not know this existed. I, I don't want to jump the gun and steal any of your thunder, but I never knew that George Romero was involved in a TV show like this. And that was what I was most excited to learn when I first started watching the pilot, the first episode. I started watching this show probably at the beginning of the decade, around 2010-ish, when I got the, I guess my my cable TV package got the Chiller Channel. Okay. For those of you who don't know what cable is, it's a <laughs> wire that's run through your house. Beyond just giving you high-speed internet, it also gives you uh, moving pictures. It's called television. It's uh, not the other guy in Deadpool 2, Cable? Well, sometimes. Sometimes, sometimes. It's Josh, sometimes it's Josh Brolin, sometimes it's just a, a flickering image on your television set. So it wasn't an original name in the Deadpool 2 movie? No. You're blowing my mind. You're blowing so many young people's minds here, Zach. This is crazy. What's his name? Who's the guy who did Deadpool that everybody likes? Uh, Liefeld? Rob Liefeld is a mm. liar, folks. He's, he's ripping things off. <laughs> uh, he's using but- nouns as proper nouns. What a Satanist. <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm boycotting right now. I'm going to his house right now. Uh, unsubscribe, zero out of five stars. See, everybody, when you invest in a business, just like the Cinemodities restaurant, you know it's a good investment because that's a made-up word. <laughs> Continue, Zach. <laughs> oh, my Lord. 
Oh God, we're off the rails and we haven't even started talking about the show yet. Uh, but no, so I found it on the Chiller channel ever since, like, I remember for years, I was always kind of oddly obsessed with the Chiller channel because I love the TV show Beyond Belief, Factor Fiction, hosted oh, okay. by Jonathan Frakes. And I always, I remember, I, I used to watch it so religiously when it used to air initially on Fox. And ever since it got canceled, like, unceremoniously in the early 2000s, I always, like, looked for it. And I remember seeing it on the, uh, the TV guide listing on, like, when you go through your cable box. I used to make me angry because they, they do like marathons. I'm like, gah, so close yet so far away. It was always like in like the weird like gold tier cable um, package. Okay. And then one day for whatever they did, I guess the the cable provider just reshuffled the packages. And it's like, oh, you get the Chiller Channel now. So mm. I was just I was walking on sunshine. And by that time, because that's usually how most things happen. Anytime a channel from a uh, upper tier in the cable packages I got access to, they immediately stopped airing the one thing I always wanted to watch on that channel. <laughs> Of course. And so I was um, one day's channel surfing. I saw Tales from the Dark Side. And much like how Rob got it confused, I'm like, oh, this must be Tales from the Crypt. And I always <laughs> wanted to watch that show because it was an HBO show. Yeah. And that was always off limits because HBO is like, if there's gold tier, HBO is always like platinum tier. There's, there's, n- there's nothing <laughs> yeah. below HBO when it comes to cable. <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, I, I'm expecting uh, the Crypt Keeper. And I'm watching it, and I, I don't remember the first episode I watched at all, but the main thing I remember, and I think probably the most interesting thing about this show, or I guess the most consistently interesting, is the intro and outro. <laughs> I don't think I love anything as much in this world as I love the intro and outro to Tales from the Dark Side. Even more than real scary stories? I don't remember. I don't like real scary stories. I'm fascinated by fair, it. Fair. Point, d- fair point. It's, it's in the Eraserhead things where <laughs> even though I talk about it a lot, I really don't like it because it upsets me to a certain degree. Sure. Okay. Anything about this show captured my imagination. It was that. And it would, I guess, in, I think we got the Chiller channel, right, as I went away for college, so there really wasn't a lot of time to watch it. And plus, Tales from the Dark Side was definitely an antiquated show by the early 2010s, and so it more or less just dropped off the network. And sure. I think the, the Chiller channel doesn't even exist anymore, I'm pretty sure. So mm-hmm. it was like, oh, okay, well, there goes that. And But a few years ago, I found out, oh, they released the entire um, like seasons on DVD. I wanted to go to the DVDs, but I think they were like $40 a piece. And I think there was four of them. And then I heard like, oh, they didn't include the original audio, like the audio, like the soundtracks for the episodes. Mm. They they, they redid them. I'm like, what? Why would you read? It's like, obviously, that's some sort of copyright nonsense where somebody obviously used something they weren't supposed to initially. 
And I'm like, okay, I really don't want to spend like over a hundred bucks on this show. I don't like it that much. <laughs> if it's not the original like audio, you know, I don't know what the original audio sounds like. Mm-hmm. It's like, eh. And then about two years ago, they re-released the show on DVD as like a complete series box set for like thirty dollars. And I'm like, okay. And I remember I had like a coupon at Barnes and Noble, and I ordered it. And I figured for like twenty bucks, I'm like, how could I go wrong? Yeah. Except the fact they ship it in a package where it's like sixty disc, like in one plastic like container. Oh so no matter my. what you do trying to access it, like every disc falls out. <laughs> so, so it's like a very perilous task to ever try watching this. I think I've only gotten to like the first season because you go by past like disc four. You're just gonna destroy every disc in the collection. I'm imagining how this is gonna translate into napkin holders at our restaurant now. <laughs> it's it's perfect, Zach. Keep going. I love it. <laughs> Oh dear lord! Uh, but no, and so I we'll get into this more and more as time goes on. But as I was curating this list of four episodes for Rob, it was kind of came down to what episodes do I feel really give me what I want from a show like this? Like okay. there are tons of horror anthology shows out there. Like we've discussed things like The Twilight Zone, Night Gallery. Uh, the Outer Limits. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's so many of these series out there, but a lot of them just have like that really we- like they're not really macabre. Like I love my horror deliciously macabre. That's a phrase sure. I use a lot when I describe what I like in horror movies. I don't like uh, jump scares. Mm-hmm. I gore can be fun if done right, but it's it, that's if it's done right, it's upsetting at the same time. <laughs> but I like things that are deliciously macabre. And Tales from the Dark Side, when it's trying to do that, most of the times it isn't. Mm-hmm. But it's when it's in the vein of Creep Show, which was the predecessor to Tales from the Dark Side, the TV show, because of giving a little bit of context, was Creep Show came out in 1982. Okay. According to Wikipedia, it says it was a moderate success. I think it made around <laughs> I, I, whatever that means. Like it's, it's, it's weird to get as the box office master prognosticator. It's really hard to kind of sit there gauge like what was successful. Yeah. Like 35 years ago. Cause it's like, Oh, like there's inflation, but we also don't know what was like, like why was something really successful or what was the benchmark for being mm-hmm. successful back then, especially when budgets aren't given. Oh yeah. But it made $21 million in 1982, which I did a little bit of the uh, background research, which is only about like a, a million or two behind something like, Mad Max the Road Warrior. Oh wow. Like, don't get me wrong. Okay. It's 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 not making ET money. Like, sure. like without a doubt, Creepshow's not making that sweet, sweet ET money. Yeah, yeah. But it, it made a solid dollar for mm-hmm. itself. It, it says the budget's eight million on Wikipedia, but who knows if that's right or wrong. I can't imagine something like this being too expensive to make. But it was that sh- that show, or I'm sorry, that movie that really it's like, okay, they want George Romero wanted to sit there and make a horror anthology series, mm-hmm. but he did not want, or I guess they didn't get the rights to like the EC comics element that was in creep show. They guess they couldn't license that or whoever owned it. Didn't want to give it to them. So they basically said do a generic or just a horror TV series. That was a little more pulpy than something like twilight zone or night gallery because I'm trying to think before this, they're really I don't know if because when was Outer Limits? I don't know off the top of my head. Outer Limits was the '60s, so this was the same time okay. period okay. as uh, Twilight Zone. So no, this this was definitely after 
after all the 60s era of horror anthology series. Mm-hmm. But no, so I love that creep show element and I because I did not see creep show until after Tales from the Dark Side. Okay. And I know like I I remember I think it was the summer of 2013 and I became enamored with creep show and oddly enough my copy of Shout Factory's newly restored version of Creep Show came in the mail today, and I watched it, and I drooled over it. <laughs> nice. Show is one of those movies that, like, it's getting a little bit more exposure as time goes on, though, but it's still, like, the definition of a cult movie where nobody oh, knows yeah. about it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's funny, Creep Show is another movie we're going to be talking about. If, if I knew my copy was going to come today, we probably would have been talking about Creep Show today. <laughs> we probably would have been talking about Creep Show today if I, have, if I knew my copy was going to come. This is Zach but, trying to squeeze in an addendum episode to Monstover, just like we had an addendum to the Dean Norris series. <laughs> Yes, it's going to be kind of like the 2002 <laughs> commercials episode. It's just going to be, maybe if I just keep talking enough, I can just uh, create its own, like, 60-minute episode on Creepshow. Good, I'm glad Which, you used that as a reference and not Claws. Good choice. <laughs> oh, my God, I don't want to talk about Claws. I don't want to talk about that show. In- insert the Hummer clip. Okay, would this jog your memory, though? Particularly if a cop came in asking. Sure would not. How you like me now, Jeff? Not much better. What if we add a Hummer? Oh, this week. I got this. Watch the front counter. Going back to, to Tales from the Dark Side, I try to pick four episodes that kind of... There's, God, there's like 90-something episodes of oh, Tales yeah. from the Dark Side. What is it, four, four or five seasons, something like that? Yeah, four seasons. There's 89 episodes plus the pilots and 90 episodes. I've never really made it past, I think, season season one. I think I think I've only watched one or two episodes from season two, two and three in the final season. Okay. But it's those first like dozen or even maybe half a dozen episodes from the first season that are really what the show was great at. You can tell like with any show like this, they start to run out of ideas. Sure. Yeah. It's the bane of the anthology format. Exactly. And so that's why I was like, the episodes that Rob got, I'm going to let Rob describe some of the episodes. That's <laughs> what I was going for. Okay. Okay. So you were trying to pick um, a representative sample of the the original intention of this show is that is that what you're saying well i think you used to want to break down what episodes we watched but oh oh sure i will but but you're saying in your choice that's what you were going for yes i tried gotcha. to pick i tried to pick well two episodes are the pure essence of deliciously macabre sure actually three might be that three are deliciously macabre one of them i was trying to because i wanted to do four episodes because i wanted to give rob 90 minutes to chew on and i was trying to figure out what fourth episode should i pick when i saw a word processor of the gods i'm like if this is not a slam dunk rob topic i don't know what is well zach hits the nail on the head right there because i have certainly read the stephen king short story word processor of the gods before i had seen this so I knew that story, Zach. So you, it, it was a slam dunk, Rob. It's it's something. Uh, it's an idea I love. But I guess I have to ask. I will certainly break some of these down, all of them, if you want me to. We only talked about four, like we said. Do you want to uh, do it one by one? Do you want to just, you know, I'll break one down, we analyze it, and then move on, kind of like what we did for Unsolved Mysteries? Yeah, I guess that's great. I have to do, but I'm gonna pick the order we go in because that's um, that was gonna be my next question. Because I'm going to go in the order that I rewatched these in over the last week. Okay. Because I think that because you guys, that's the weird thing. You don't want to blow your own. Yeah, you don't want to blow your load a little too early with this show, mm-hmm. which I think it does. I think that I think <laughs> ironically, the best episode of the entire series is the first episode. Oh, okay. 
usually you get to build up to your best episode, maybe like the end of season one would be like, oh my god. But mm-hmm. this is like we start off at a high, and it's kind of slowly downhill from there. <laughs> okay. Well, then, Zach, where would you like me to start of the four we have? Let's start with the Rob Slam Dunk. Okay. Word processor of the gods. So this is the title of the episode of the of the story we get. Um, it is inspired, or pretty much an adaption of the Stephen King short story of the same name, I believe. Um, in this episode. Uh, we very quickly, so I guess it should be said, all of these are 22 minutes long, 22 and change, about 22, 15, um, all the ones that we're watching today. I don't know if any of them are, are longer or shorter. Anyway, in WordPress of the Gods, we quickly, quickly learn uh, that a family has died in a tragic accident, a husband, wife, and child. This husband, wife, and child uh, was related to our main character. The husband was the brother of the main character. And the child that died left a word processor to the main character of this episode. I I don't know his name in the episode, but he is played by Bruce Davison. And I recognize Bruce Davison right off the bat. He's been in a good bit of Zvu, if Zach did not know. (laughs) So he gets this word processor. And you have to imagine back in the 80s, a word processor is a computer but it only is a console that you can type words into. He quickly finds that whatever he types into the word processor and hits execute on becomes true. So he starts by saying, the picture of my wife is not on my office table. And he hits execute, it goes away. He types in, the picture of my wife is on the office table, it comes back. Next thing he jumps towards is, there's Spanish doubloons on my floor. Okay, he wants money. Totally acceptable. Next thing he jumps to is, I don't have a son. Next thing he jumps to is, I don't have a wife. Then he jumps to, I have the family of my dreams, which is the family that died. But he replaces his brother. That's the end of the episode. (laughs) That is my summary of the episode, that we have a great idea condensed and accelerated to 22 minutes. What is? What do you think, Zach? Did that do it justice? Well, it's fun. Okay, there's a weird angle on this, and I think Rob left it out was, I have a 22-minute-long episode about a guy who has a word processor that does whatever he commands it to. The first, like, five, ten minutes is about how awful this guy's domestic life is. <laughs> yes, yes. All his wife does is eat sugary, like, salty snacks Mm-hmm. And his like overweight son just plays the guitar all the time. And the wife plays bingo. She goes out and she has a great line where she's like, I'm the only one that does anything productive in this family. I go out and play bingo and I win. I'm the only one's going to make this family rich because I do something constructive with my evenings. I play bingo and I win. <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> but they definitely lay the groundwork for like why this guy would replace his family by the well, end. Well, see, that I think that's my biggest issue with this condensation and acceleration and why I skipped it. Everything that they've given me, it, it was not motivation for him to completely delete them. This is one of my notes. I was actually baffled. He went from, okay, I realize what this technology, this magic technology can do. So I'm going to get myself some money. And then he immediately goes to deleting his son. I, why wouldn't you go, 
my son doesn't play the guitar. Like, why wouldn't you change a smaller fact about your family? Why would you go right to deleting them? That's why I think this was accelerated to a, to a degree that it should have been accelerated. I thought killing his son or deleting his son was way too much of a jump. Well, they established early on, and even when they have the the flashback with the 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 son who created or the the son how, how do you do this the son that created the the, the computer for him yes the it, nephew it looks, technically right the nephew the nephew that would later become son mm-hmm. looks eerily like him oh yeah so it's kind of like okay it's it's a fait accompli that obviously this is a more direct family member than than uncle nephew relationship okay okay and, and they make a point that the brother the one that dies in the car wreck ruined his brother our main character's life from the, from the get-go yeah, yeah stole stole the love of his life which in turn robbed him of the son that he always wished he could have mm-hmm. so it's the whole thing of i like anybody like anybody's done their life at one point who's unhappy with it can say this is the point where my life diverged from the path i wanted to go mm-hmm. if i can if i eliminate my son and wife and because what he does with the wife he because there's something we got beyond just uh, attacking the narrative of it we got to give the uh, the vi- vis- eh, the visual execution of it some some brownie points because oh, we see absolutely. this we see this word processor and it's made out of wood like mm-hmm. not like not your like normal like wood panel stuff of like the early eighties we're talking about lumber oh yeah which is probably the most unsafe thing to build a computer that smokes very easily out of. <laughs> Like, like this, this, this nephew son character is so smart. Yeah, I'm thinking, like, why would he build this out of like flammable wood? That it's that like, is that is going to be the design for the frame of every single one of our cash registers in the restaurant, Zach. <laughs> I would say our stoves in the cinema oh. restaurant and ovens are all made out of wood. You just hit a home run there, Zach. We have we have gas wooden ovens. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! And they only um, have one setting, which is broil. <laughs> And it's not just for the, the oven, it's for broiling the building. Yes, it works as the thermostat as well. This is so 80s technology, I would say. You know, it was like, how do we make this look crazy in terms of what people know about computers? Let's put wood around it. That, and But Zach is so right, that makes it's so contradictory to what this machine is and what it does. <laughs> but it makes sense, narratively speaking, because it, it, they mentioned that this nephew was making this thing in haste. And yes. he was using very subpar elements in order to mm-hmm. – because numerous yeah. times it's referenced, he was rushing to build this. He was rushing. He had to expedite this. Yeah. Because it, whoever this – and I think this is – I'm surprised considering that now that we're um, pillaging everything that Stephen King has ever done in his life into movies. And now there's another Pet Cemetery coming out now. Oh, God. Yeah, I know. We have it chapter two. We have Pet Cemetery. I can only imagine we're we're just gonna dig up everything that Stephen King has done over the last 35, 40 years. <laughs> Under the dome. Make another one of those. Under the dome. I want to just see a movie about the court case between Stephen King and the Simpsons movie people. <laughs> that would be a horror movie, right? <laughs> you can do so much with Stephen King. Like, I, I really. But anyway, though. But like, that would make this like an interesting movie. Like just the whole idea is like, how did this nephew son know that something was going to happen to him? Yes, yes. Like that because obviously he knows something's about to happen. Yet it's never alluded to where he gained this knowledge from. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And like, because I know again, not to go back to which we might get to sooner rather than later. 
the the Dark Tower, the Stephen King, or I guess the Idris Elba Matthew McConaughey movie, where they're trying to, like they were trying to make a Stephen King cinematic universe, yeah. and it kind of just it was DOA. This would have been a really fun element of it. Like, like that's the weird thing about this. Like you you pitch somebody on the idea of the Stephen King cinematic universe, and you go, oh my god, it's like they've they've officially run out of ideas. Yet. That's really clever when you think about all the weird ass things Stephen King has done. I think it's I think it's really clever in that aspect because he is such an eccentric author and has so many crazy ideas. Um, one because that gives filmmakers and companies or production companies something to work with. You know, it's like the same thing with it. There's so much of it that's in the book that they don't they've never put in either of them any of the movies. But there, the other point is that there is a Stephen King shared universe. Like they like in the stand. I think the stand. There's references to Carrie. There's references to Tommyknockers. There's references to it. I think that you know a lot of this takes place in Stephen King's mind as its own universe. So it makes sense. But you know, it, it's what people are willing to accept and you know latch onto. And maybe it just. I, I see what you're saying here. This would have been clever, but you know, maybe not for the masses. Maybe that's what they're thinking about it. Well, again, not to get too far into Stephen King lore. <laughs> but it's like they've they've been with, with the Dark Tower. It's funny how every God for like twenty years now they've been threatening like doing something with that. It's like oh it's gonna be a movie. Oh it's gonna be a TV show. Oh it's gonna be yeah. a movie then a TV show. And then eventually turns out like a movie that costs like fifty million dollars and like they put like the bare minimum of effort into it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's like oh it's like that's the best you could do with like after how many years like it's like oh because we because everybody there's too many cooks in the kitchen. Yeah. And it just ruins the broth, or in this case, the uh, Stephen King nonsense. Because it's funny. It's kind of like what happened. There's a scene in The Dark Tower. I've only seen it once. I'm kind of afraid to rewatch it. Because when I saw it in theaters, I really enjoyed it. Okay. There's a scene that's very eerily similar to, like, the Batman versus Superman scene where, like, Wonder Woman's on the computer and she gets, like, the teaser trailers (laughs) for, like, The Flash, (laughs) Cyborg, Aquaman. Where like I forget where they are. I think he's in, like a psychi like the ki- the kids in the psychiatrist's office, and you see like a picture of the the Cujo dog. You okay. see the Overlook Hotel. Uh, you see like like a framed newspaper headline of like the Carrie incident. Mm-hmm. And it all happens, I think, like in the span of like a minute. And it's like, oh my god, it's like enough movie. I get it. I get it. Yeah, yeah. But like that, okay. like, but that again, that's that's far away from Tales from the Dark Side. Indeed. So, so yeah, so no, this this segment's interesting because I think this is definitely a more even though it's macabre in one sense, I think it's much more Twilight Zoney than it is compared to the other three segments. Yeah. Or yeah. episodes. And plus I think this is another one of those instances where it's like, oh, somebody has plotted out much like how Rob wrote Wonder Shows in and he doesn't know it yet. <laughs> I think this is the thing where Rob is looking into is he's looking into the crystal ball and he sees his future life. I can see Rob <laughs> marrying somebody, having a child, being completely unsatisfied with both of them, oh, and saying, God. "Okay, I'm gonna someone's gonna build me a computer, or I'm gonna build a computer, <laughs> and I'm gonna have as many mulligans as I want because of it." <laughs> I I agree with the building the computer part. I'm there's oh god that. I'm never having children. I'm never getting married. I'm a solo show, Zach. You got to know that. Because you <laughs> built the word processor of the gods, you don't have to worry about it. Now. Okay, yes, maybe in one of the iterations of my of my life and my resets on life, maybe I'd try that. Um, 
but it would probably end in a much more violent and darker way than just typing something into a computer. <laughs> so you're saying it would end, it would be more dark than wiping out someone's existence with a keystroke. Yeah, yeah. I don't even want to imagine that. <laughs> so, so okay. Um, I have to say, though, Zach, you, are, you did hit the, the nail on the head. Out of the four episodes I watched, this certainly was my favorite. Yeah, I, 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 it's funny. Even though I, this is probably not that it's my least favorite, but I kind of knew going into this, I'm like, oh, I'm stacking the, the deck against <laughs> myself. Oh, man. So I would say um, it was my favorite um, more because uh, in a relative sense that I didn't like the others more than I liked this one. I'm not saying this was amazing, that I loved it. If I had to be honest, I think was, this was a really, really poor rendition of a very, very common idea. I, of course, don't know how many times it has been done, or it had been done when this episode aired, but a piece of technology that when you you impress yourself on it, whether it be writing, speaking, typing, anything like that, and it makes it come true, this is not a new idea. Twilight Zone. Episodes called A World of His Own. Guy would say things into a tape recorder. Whatever he said, if he played them, they'd come true. If he took the tape and destroyed it, they would not exist anymore. Goosebumps, which of course came after this. The blob that ate everyone. Kid gets a typewriter. Whatever he types comes true. I'm sure there's a million other examples of that happening. It's a common idea. It's a very intriguing idea. But this episode did not execute it well. Uh, or enough to make me interested in it. Why I loved this episode was probably because of the finer details. And if you don't have anything else to say overarching about the plot, Zach, I think that's where I want to go next, or some of the small details I picked up on in here that I really, really enjoyed. Well, there's one thing I do want to pick up, and this has to do with the, ba- this is the, the basic uh, plot outline, is that when you watch a story like this, again, whether mm-hmm. it be Goosebumps or Twilight Zone or whatever, you're waiting for the proverbial rug to be pulled out from underneath the main character. Yes. You're waiting for him to get his comeuppance because even though he's, it's like the monk, it's like what the monkey's paw. It's like yeah. you make all these wishes or it's letting the genie out of the bottle. Once you get, it's kind of the old adage. There's always two tragedies in life, not getting what you want and getting what you want. <laughs> and you wait for that moment because at the very end, you see the fact that, he brings the, the nephew son back. He, well, he makes the nephew into his son. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, what's, I forget the exact line of dialogue. But it's like, oh, I wonder what mom's doing for dinner. And we see her and she's basked in white light like an angel. Oh, and yeah. If this, if this was something that Rod Serling did, or if this was done by pretty much anybody else, she'd be like a tentacle monster. So like, you are exactly right. What I was actually, I was hoping for when I realized that it's like, because, you know, he, uh, Bruce Davison, the main character, you know, types in like, I am a man that lives alone except for my wife, blah, 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 and my son, blah, blah, blah. And the computer starts to overload and, you know, you don't know what's going to happen. But then he realizes and the audience realizes that that's his family now, at least the son is. And then they show the wife. And like Zach said, she's angelic. She's immaculate, you know, lighting and white dress, everything like that. I was really hoping that it wouldn't end right there that they would show her on camera and she would start nagging him. I really hoped that she would be like, like, you stupid son of a bitch, get to work, and like slap him or something. Because that would have been great, where he's just he has this wife and she's just as big of a bitch as the first wife was. That would have been awesome. 
But no, it never happens. Tentacle Monster would have been cool too. But I think that's the genius of this, though. And I think this is this is weird how this something like this does not resonate, ne- especially now, in that we're so used to having that comeuppance at the final moment. Yeah. Again, yeah. You, you you can't have your cake and eat it too. <laughs> but you have this, and it's all well that ends well. And I think that's I I can't think of another. I, I as we've stated, I love my deliciously macabre stories i'm right there with you zach i don't know if i've said it on this podcast before but if you write a story it should never have a happy ending i i think no good story no great story has a happy ending no but i think that but i think this is the brilliance of that where you do have a it's called tales from the dark side Mm -hmm. and you have a show where the main character despite the fact that he is emotionally and verbally abused by his family members yep he wipes them from existence and he gets everything he wants in the process and has no repercussions. Yeah. I know it's a uh, anti buzzword to say this term now, but a term, not a word is the subverting of expectations. <laughs> yeah. Like again, you watch any show like this and you're waiting for something to happen. That's negative to him, except he's already paid the negative price. He spent how many years of his life dealing with the nagging wife and the son that doesn't respect him, and he and he has no more worries. Well, yeah. He's, uh, in the short, well, we, we don't know. It's a short story. It's not meant for us to th- to think about these characters uh, a day, a week, a month, a year, a decade from now. Definitely. But I think that's why this would resonate more. You have for a show called Tales from the Dark Side, in which the main character, who's not really a, is he a bad guy? Uh, it- no, I don't. I don't think so. But he. That's the weird. Th- but again, this is where. Again, the later episodes definitely don't delve into this, but he does. He, like, even though the the son and the wife are abusive to him, they don't do anything enough. They don't physically hurt him. They don't. Um, they demean him. Mm-hmm. But we never really see them do anything in public to him that would really uh, to be the deserved being wiped from existence. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's that's an interesting element of this segment. That you don't really see anywhere. Because I know even some of the later episodes, especially the ones also we talked about, mm-hmm. the good characters usually have some sort of ironic twist of fate at the end. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And that doesn't happen here. And this, is, and this is one of those ones where you expect it to happen more so than the others, or just maybe just one in particular. But it doesn't happen. Like I, I yep. don't know. I, I find that interesting now if they were to do it. Never mind in like 1983. Oh, sure. Or, or 84, sure. I mean. Okay, okay. Go yeah, ahead, no, Rob, that's, a, that's an interesting. That's an interesting point. No, you make a good point. Um, but I think I'm right there with you. You know, still, this was definitely the most uh, enjoyable and intriguing of the of the four. So finer details. There's not too many. Um, I have a line to point out when the neighbor person that knew the family that died and the nephew that died, and he's like giving the word processor to our main character. Um, they're talking about how like uh, creative children are and their ingenuity and things like that. And the the old man neighbor says something like, "I knew this kid who did something great with technology." Like that's my first example. And then the second example, he says he opens the sentence with, "I knew a kid that built a pipe bomb." And then he talks about what he what the kid blew up with the pipe bomb. Sentence ends, and then he laughs and goes. Kids are funny sometimes. And I knew a kid who made a pipe bomb, 
Out of the celluloid, he scraped off the backs of a deck of playing cards. Blew up the neighbor's doghouse. <laughs> yeah, kids are funny sometimes. That would never fly today, right? Like, oh, kids are creative. No. I knew one that built a pipe bomb and blew up a school. Kids are funny sometimes. That was that stood out to me because that is classic 80s dialogue. That's classic ancient dialogue from before we were alive. And I love that stuff. <laughs> is that what you would say if, you, if a kid in your neighborhood built a pipe, pipe bomb? Would you be like, kids are funny sometimes? Would the police have to put that in their report when they interview you? <laughs> Oh, okay, dear. that's a good one. Pipe bombs. Great, great comedy. <laughs> so so the next fine detail I want to point out is um, when Bruce Davison is downstairs and he's like using the um, word processor, his son, while playing guitar, blows the fuses. And he the fuses blow and Bruce Davison screams up at him like, you blow the fuses again. And the kid screams, bingo. And I think that's fucking hilarious because the wife is out playing bingo. And when the kid like influence or impacts hinders his father's work, he also screams bingo. This stood out to me immensely, Zach. Did you catch this? Well, I think what it is, though, he thinks his father's asking, where's your mother? Really? Because he's playing the guitar and he's. Seth, you blew the fuse. And I think he's like, bingo. Like, kind of like, like, she's at bingo. We, we will have to get the clip in here. What the hell? 20. Bingo! Seth, damn it, you blew the fuses again! to get to the bottom of this. But I think either way, it's awesome. I think either way, the inclusion of that is really, really cool. <laughs> I think that was a great sure. touch for them to have on there, you know? Because they could, they could have made the kids say, you know, like, fuck you, or something like very generic that would have just conveyed that he was an asshole kid again. But the tie back to the mother, like confirming that they are a team of abuse towards this man, it's great. It's great. You know, give me great misery. That's all I want to see. <laughs> um, so the last thing I have to point out is we're going to get the clip in. Uh, and I might even, I'm definitely going to save the clip, might even use it in some audio editing I do later. I absolutely loved the mixing and every aspect of the audio that occurred while Bruce Davison was trying to put his final wish into the word processor while it was overheating. We get a great, great scene where in the visuals is a shot of the word processor. The screen is kind of overflowing with the word overload and our main character is trying to type in what he wants to be true. But he's saying what he wants as he's typing it. And there's a, just a great blend of, of like snaps and, and crackles from the fire, the beeps from the computer, and Bruce Davison in a very monotonic, metered voice saying, like, I am a man that lives alone except for my wife, Belinda, whatever, and my son, Jonathan, and it is awesome. I absolutely loved the audio with that part. It stood out to me so much. Like I said, I think I'm going to take it and try and sample it in my own music. It is so cool. I am a man who lives alone. 
except for my beloved wife, Belinda, and my wonderful son, Jonathan. Execute, damn it. Execute! I am a man who lives alone, except for my beloved wife, Belinda, and my wonderful son, Jonathan. Did that stand out to you, Zach? Uh, not off the top of my head. But no, that's a neat sequence, because as the computer's overloading and uh, catching on fire, no, that's a neat visual. Absolutely. The whole scene's neat. Visual, audio, yeah, it is. It is great. And, you know, I think um, I'll say it at the end of this one, because this is the last I had to mention about this segment. The cinematography in this show, at least in the episodes I watched, I really enjoyed. I thought I saw some great shots, some great visuals. Great pans of cameras to reveal things, which I think we'll get more into in other episodes. Um, but I have—I do have to say that this this show was definitely enjoyable to watch. Definitely. Okay. Anything else about Word Processor the Gods, our Stephen King story? No, nope, I think that's it. Okay. Well, then, Zach, uh, throw the next one at me, unless it's one you want to do the plot breakdown for. The next one is Case of the Stubborns. <laughs> okay. You want me to do this one? Or are you doing it? Essentially what it is, you have a mother and her son. Mm, son young Christian by, Slater. Yes, young Christian Slater. Oh, yeah. And the, the, his grandfather, her father, just recently passed away. And while they're sitting down having, I guess it's breakfast after the morning, I guess the funeral mass. Mm-hmm. I don't know why they have the body upstairs in the house. I guess so just... I, I actually have a thought on this. Okay. So I, I don't know my timeline. I didn't do my research on this. But, of course, back in the day, like I said, I don't know my timeline exactly, dead bodies and or people dying, I guess. I'm, excuse me, anyone, if I use improper or offensive terms for dead people. Um, but they would have home viewings in the parlor or something like that. Remember that? Like, you ever see this in movies or anything where, like, oh, yeah. they wouldn't go to a funeral parlor. They would go to the pe- person's home and... They would have the body there all dressed up and made up, uh, made up like the d- grandpa is when he comes down the stairs. So that's my best guess because that was my first thought. Why the hell would they have a fucking dead body upstairs while they're eating breakfast? That's just weird to me. I mean, sure, maybe I've done it before, but I don't do it every day. And so what I'm saying is I think this was some type of viewing that they had in their home. What do you think? Sure, that's that's a good explanation to it. I think they just didn't have enough money for another set, so they just went with it. <laughs> I, this I, I think the most fluid way to start the story. <laughs> exactly. I think the show probably didn't have a lot of money behind it, so it was like, okay, that's there's only three sets in that entire segment. It's the the kid. It's I guess the dining room. There's the porch, mm. and there's like the gypsy's tent. Yes. That's it. Yeah, you have three right. sets for the entire segment. Yeah, so I you're would absolutely imagine anything right. beyond that. I, I don't know. Rob gives a pretty good explanation to it. I, I think if you asked whoever directed or the producer behind it, I imagine they'd probably tell you that. Okay. It's like, oh, it's 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 uh, at home viewing. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely what it is. Yeah, there, at least they pull their some, collar. 
Yeah, there's some uh, strand they can grab onto if pushed. <laughs> exactly, which I don't blame them for. Whatever. Rob at least gave them a way out, and it works. So yeah, where's my royalties on the DVD box sets? <laughs> you get you get a half of a fraction of a penny. Uh, but no. So as they're sitting down there having breakfast, the grandfather comes down, and they're like, "But Grandpa, you did." And he's like, "I don't know what you're talking about." And over the course of the segment, they have to convince him that he is, in fact, uh, deceased. There's no, for the record, there's no mention of, like, zombie, or he's cursed, or he's the the work of the devil. He is just alive. His heart's not beating. He doesn't have breath, apparently, as we learn in the episode. He's alive, like, talking and moving like a human being, but, but is dead. It, it's so it's so strange to me, Zach. This concept is so intriguing to me. I love it. Well, again, it's, he just it, like the episode is called "A Case of the Stubborns." Yes, he's just a stubborn old man that refuses to move on to the next plane of existence, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that's essentially what it is. It, it's a cute, clever concept. I don't. Again, I think it's another deliciously macabre segment. Sure. Not, not as much as the next two we're going to get to. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. one of the things, because I've always seen this segment, like I said, I haven't, I haven't watched the show a lot. I, I kind of have my favorites and I pick and choose from them. But I forgot as I was rewatching this is that when we first see him come down, when we're first introduced to the grandfather, he's obviously, and I think this is a, a testament to the makeup that went into this, he has Mortician's makeup on. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm thinking of the viewing. That's exactly what he would be wearing for a viewing. Exactly. You have that really just uh, it, it, it's blushed very <laughs> cheeks, blushed cheeks, it, pale, it looked, paled out no or depth given a little more color to the dead body. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, it, but it's very artificial looking. It's not mm-hmm. meant to it, it's meant to look artificial to the audience. Sure. And then as the episode progresses, he gets more and more grotesque as he starts to decay. Exactly. Where to, like at the beginning he's kind of just like, like a cute miserly old man. And by the end, you know, his personality hasn't changed at all. He is more or less horrifying to look at. Oh, yeah. Oh, he gets oh, he gets gross. That's probably the best way to put it. Oh, yeah. And he's like, like, like the final like um, mealtime setting with him. Mm-hmm. He is genuinely upsetting to look at. <laughs> yeah. And that's where, like I said, we, we talked about the fact that we don't know where like, like oh, why is there a corpse upstairs? Mm-hmm. I think any money that would have went into a potential fourth location for this, I think went into the makeup for this one actor. Sure, that's a fair point because it it is convincing. I really liked it. Yeah, and that's and it's funny. Like how we watch like things like The Walking Dead these days, which is really the only example of like practical effect mm-hmm. makeup. Not even effects. Cause I know I know a lot of the effects on that show are computer based, but when it comes to practical like makeup. That's kind of like now the current gold standard. Yeah. And even something like that does not even, I wouldn't even say compares to this. I don't think it's a matter of uh, ability to, I think if if the walking dead wanted to do something like this, they could do it very easily. Mm -hmm. I think it's a very unique style choice that you don't see often. And actually now that I think about it, I cannot imagine a, a, decaying corpse looking this particular way in any other form of media whether it be tv or a movie or a comic book this is a very unique interpretation of decaying flesh that's exactly what i was about to say unique 
uh, because you, we've seen this before so many times in different forms of media. Uh, but this, you know, is its own thing. Like when, you know, I, I've, I've never, I didn't look at this grandfather at any stage and go, oh, that makes me think of this zombie or anything like that. It was really just that character. Yeah, because I know, because going back to as well, we have to kind of keep in mind, this was the early 80s. So there really wasn't anything else. Like, yes, you had the Romero zombie films that were, that that would come and go as time went on. Romero would make a new zombie film every three to ten years. Mm -hmm. And, but he's very clearly not a zombie. Yes. Like, they could very easily have a point in this where he's like chewing a meal or doing something he like his jaw falls off yeah or something like that though in which that's disturbing though but it's been done before Mm -hmm. and yet this show takes a very again at at the time it was unique because it had never been done before but even in retrospect 30 something years later no one has really or at least from what we know copied it in which we know in today's day and age where we basically just bastardize everything and we <laughs> rob pillage and steal yep. no matter what it is because it's just easy and, and appealing to the lowest common denominator at the lowest cost no i think that's that that's probably one of the more interesting things beyond the story which i think even though it's not the most original story the fact that you kind of like it's funny you can you can take him instead of taking him coming back as a physical being make him a ghost the story's been done a hundred times before oh yeah it's essentially Beetlejuice. Think about it. This is essentially the plot of Beetlejuice. Yeah, yeah, they don't want to die. They don't want to move on. <laughs> so, and, and that's what I mean, though. It's like, but you, if you showed this to someone, I think you'd be hard-pressed for them to say, oh, this is just Beetlejuice dressed differently. Yeah, it, it doesn't uh, immediately send that sense. It, it's self-contained enough to, to stand, really, I think, as its own thing when you initially watch it. Because that's how it felt for me. Yeah, and I and I because the one thing I do find is I think it's also it's even though it, it's macabre by design, I think there is a level of sentimentality here. There's no cynicism, there's no uh, social message that's hitting you over the head. Yeah, I would like, say this was the most comedic of the four episodes we watched. Oh, definitely. Oh, it's yeah, without yeah, by far this was the only one I would say might have been considered a comedy. Yeah, and I think it's it's meant to be cute. It's not. I think that's where any good, like again, I, I don't want to sit there say anything against like Twilight Zone, mm-hmm. but like where Twilight Zone, every every episode ends with someone getting their comeuppance. Every yeah, episode, there's always always the plot twist. Yep, exactly. Somebody has to at the end of every Twilight Zone episode, and I think this even goes even to Night Gallery as well. It's like somebody has to be punished by the end of the episode. So, someone has to be punished for the way they were behaving during the events of the story. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I do like about this, and I, I, I can't test for the entire show, but with like a segment like this, nobody is being punished. Yeah, it's like like a problem arises. The character, it, it's a problem, but it's not the biggest problem in the world. I think they, the biggest thing that happens is they're like, oh, the, the health department's going to come and take them away. Yeah, um, they're going to quarantine us. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's kind of that, that's the biggest thing. It, that's kind of the the highest stakes there are in this, mm-hmm. and how eventually how Christian Slater, the the grandson slash son, finds out he goes to like the the witch doctor or the the gypsy, the voodoo like, woman, I think the they voodoo call her. woman, yeah. yeah, whatever whatever name you have for that character, it's a stock character though. But no, she, even that's cute because she, she goes to her and she tries to scare him, mm-hmm. it doesn't work, and she's kind of like, oh, I'm a failure. He's like, no, no, I need your help, 
and, she, and she's like, yo, you're the one with the grandfather that, that's been doing this. <laughs> and she's like, I got just a thing for you. And, and how the whole, how they eventually do convince the grandfather is while he's about having his, his supper, they give him a napkin. And it's filled with pepper, just regular ground pepper. And when he goes to shake out his napkin before tucking into his shirt like a bib, he sneezes and he literally blows his nose off his face. Yep. Which, again, it's grotesque, don't get me wrong. But it's cute the fact that, like, oh, that's that's what it took. Because it, numerous times, like, I guess we didn't lay it out, he's refusing to be dead. I'm not dead, god damn it. Yeah, yeah, I think we said it. Case of the Stubborns, yep. Yeah, and, and numerous times he's like, well, if you provide me the right amount of evidence or proof, I'll, I'll believe it. And even though I think Rob would dis- probably agree with this, is that it wraps itself up a little too nicely at the end. Because all we know is he, he sneezes and he goes, oh, oh, there it is. Sorry yeah, about that, yeah. folks. And he goes up to bed, and then obviously he goes back up to wherever he, whether it be a bed, a casket, who knows. <laughs> and and, and the again, the set, the fourth <laughs> set, the imaginary fourth set that we'll never yeah. see. Uh, who do we tweet to to see who, if there ever was a fourth set for this? Oh, segment? did Savini was Savini involved in this episode? No, he Damn. was. Damn, uh, no. Oh, we don't want to talk to Savini. It, it, it does wrap itself up a little too nicely at the end, but I think that's exactly what you need for something. Like you don't need a, a three-minute-long conclusion to this. It's yeah, like, yeah. oh, he went and got Pepper. It, he blew his nose off. It convinced him, obviously, when he saw his nose in his napkin, and that's the final shot of And I think that's mm-hmm. the ultimate, again, especially for 80s audiences, that would have been the perfect, ew! Yeah, and, that, they, and that's they your final shot. Yeah, they do it up like it's a dead body. You know, you see the nose; it's decaying skin, just like the grandpa has looked for the, you know, the last scene of the of the episode. And then you get to see some phlegm, like he was actually blowing something out when oh, he really? sneezed I it. Up on that. Yeah, I think there's some phlegm, and there's clearly maggots in it as well. Well, yeah, that goes for that. Sad. And of course, that fits. But I saw all three of those things, and it was definitely gruesome. It's an it's a gross out moment, um, but it was cool. I like that effect, and I like that idea. I. I, I was a little upset because Christian Slater goes back to the mother and the mother's like, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to us. And he's like, don't worry, mom. I got this from the, the voodoo woman. And she's like, it's black pepper. And immediately I knew that he was going to sneeze and blow his nose off. And I saw it coming. I was a little disappointed in that. But at least I got to see it. Don't they don't cool. reveal that until at the very end, though, after he's blown his nose off? No, the mother, before Christian Slater puts the the powder into the napkin, the mother like smells it. And she's like, this is just black pepper. This isn't going to do anything. And Christian Slater goes, no, no, it's a magic powder from the voodoo woman. Everything is going to be fine. Look what the voodoo woman gave me. It ain't poison, is it? No, Ma, it ain't poison. Besides, how can we poison him if he's already dead? Let's see. But Jody, honey, that ain't nothing but strong black pepper. I think that voodoo lady's been pulling your leg. No, she promised me. Okay, I, yeah. okay. If they would put that afterwards, that would have made a little bit like, what was that? Yeah, that if was... they had, they should have saved the reveal, and because I was ready to believe the mother more than I was ready to believe the voodoo woman, you know, that it was <laughs> that it was magic powder. <laughs> but yeah, it's weird. Talk about how we get at the end of the of the uh, word processor episode. We have a happy ending. Mm-hmm. This is another one where we have a a grotesque, happy, sentimental moment. Yeah, yeah. H- how often does that happen in media? A grotesque, happy moment. <laughs> yeah, I-, I think you make a good point. And people aren't doing this. We don't see it today because it wouldn't work. 
maybe it's not even happy is the right word. Like what happens in, in uh, this episode would be it's more grotesque. I guess it's grotesque sentimentality. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Like I think that's a that's a really weird combination. Yet <laughs> if done right, it can be a chocolate peanut butter moment. Yes. To the right audience. To the yep. right oh, yeah. audience, it works. Yeah, absolutely. I it's don't think you can put this though. on at 4 o'clock on NBC. People would be like, aww. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't, don't think I don't, that works. Think, yeah, that probably would not happen. <laughs> That'd be no, so like, funny, I, though. Because it's weird. You look up, like, this show really, like, obviously they've released it on DVD twice, so there is a following for it. Yep. But I don't, like, you go back, you really, there's no audience consensus. Like, you can find, everybody knows Twilight Zone. Like you can go find like, oh, I remember the first time I saw this episode. I know the first time, blah, 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 blah. Yep. There's really none of that for this show. It's like, oh, it was a show. It ran on TV and people watched it and then that was it. <laughs> yeah. And really yeah. no cultural footprint whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's weird. Like that's where like it'd be really fun to go back in time and be like, what was the water cooler talk for the day after this air? Yeah. Yeah. That would be very interesting for sure. Obviously, the show ran for like three more seasons afterwards. So clearly, this first season definitely hooked people. Yeah, had a following. Must have had a following. Yeah. So. Okay. Who knows? All right. Anything else about this? Any other weird lines of dialogue? So yeah, I guess there's two things. There was a line of dialogue in this. I guess a scene that made me laugh out loud. It was when they're trying to the first time they're trying to convince that the grandpa that he's dead. Uh, they get the doctor to come over, and the doctor pulls out a piece of paper, which is very clearly the death certificate. Because that's, of course, how you convince someone that they're dead, right? You show them a piece of paper that says they're dead. That's what I, I try and do that to Zach every week, but it's, it never works on him. But anyway, Doctor pulls out this piece of paper and he goes, look here, Titus, the grandpa's name, Titus. And immediately the uh, grandpa says, you know I can't read, dang it. <laughs> <laughs> like that was, I laughed out loud. And the doctor's like, it's your death certificate, Titus. That was so funny to me. Um, that was great. I thought the timing on that was perfect. Look here, Titus. You know I can't read Dengue. What is it? It's your death certificate. The other thing I have to point out is, of course, the doctor fails to convince the grandfather that he's dead. The family then gets the help of the preacher, the reverend, sorry. Of course, the reverend is played by Brent Spiner. How could we not acknowledge that this is data? Um... He, I think the Reverend does a great job in this. I, I don't have too much to say about the Reverend particularly. I have more questions about what... Okay, let's just, let's just hear me out, Zach. Uh, in most religions, suicide is a sin. That's a fact. You, you can't commit suicide. You can't kill yourself. It's not part of God's plan. So as soon as this guy dies naturally and then comes back to life... The reverend's gung-ho about suicide. Is What do you think about this? Do you have any opinions on this? I think this is very, like, apparently dying once naturally but coming back to life. Like, I guess, let me frame this in a better way. Let's say someone in the real world became a functional and neutral zombie. They were functioning like a human being and they were not violent. But they were just in a different state of living than a regular person. Do you think the churches would call for that creature to kill itself? Because that's what this reverend does, and that's that's really strange to me. What do you think, Zach? I don't think he's trying. Well, I think the whole issue is that 
Okay, okay. This is a it's weird. A, this is... It, it's it's not suicide in like the sense that we could commit suicide. It's suicide that the preacher is saying God has called you, lay back down and die. It's still a form of suicide, but it's motivated no, by their because, religion because he's well because he's clear his physical body has given out, yet his will hasn't, and I it's it's a weird. Again, it's not physically possible, or at least I guess as much as we can understand, it's not physically possible. But the whole idea is that the reason why it's it's God's plan for him to die or to be dead, because obviously he is dead, but his will is he's so stubborn, Mm -hmm. he's refusing not not to follow God's plan. So it's it's kind of like he could very because even when he blows his nose off, he could still be living. It's just that's what convinces him to kind of lie back and just go with the flow. So so you're saying that this whole episode is saying that it's more important for your body to be alive than your will to be alive. No. That's I what think... it seems like it's prioritizing because that's what the preacher's saying. God has already chosen you. Your body is decaying. Lay down and go back to heaven. And then the thing that convinces him is he loses part of his body. I think what it is, and I find, I remember after um, my own father died, that I went back and I watched this episode. It, it reminded me of him in a way, because it's just the, I, Titus is a very specific type of person from a very unique time and space. Mm-hmm. He is a, a person of that 1920 sort of thing where it's like, I, again, the ironclad will. Sure. Um, obs, obstinate, just for the sake of being obstinate. And my father was like that. It was like once he got an idea into his head, right or wrong, you weren't convincing him otherwise. <laughs> okay. Where I don't think people – not to take anything away from Rob, but I think the, the closest thing Rob might have to this is Boompa. And Boompa <laughs> – hopefully one day we'll get Boompa as a guest spot on this podcast. <laughs> that's so much of that's going to have to get bleeped out. We know that. <laughs> it, it doesn't matter. It'll be, the, it'll be the raw episode. But like, like it would be so, – I guess Boompa would be the closest example for Rob because I don't think Rob interacts with a lot of people that, that were – I don't want yeah, to, no, I, you're making a fair point. I don't think you need old to explain age. anymore. Yeah, you. Yeah, you're I think right. that's what it's because it's just the whole exactly. And I yeah. think that's what it comes down to. It's not the fact of the preacher saying this. It's that it's unnatural for a corpse to be living, and the whole fact that a person's will is able to impede God's plan. That's just what I think. That's the the take of the reverend. I think we're putting more thought into this than any writers of Tales from the Dark Side ever did. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I, I don't think they were questioning the existential possibilities of the reverend's dialogue. Mm-hmm. But I think that's what they're going for. It's a fact that Titus at any point could just say, "You know what? I'm I'm giving up the ghost, literally. Yeah, and I'm going to lie down and have my eternal rest." And yet he's choosing not to. And it's not because he has a purpose still on this planet. It's just, I'm not going to do this because I just don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. It's no, okay. Yeah, that's and you make a great point there um, where, you know, the intentions of the reverend in this episode and him trying to convince uh, does not have much depth. And I think, you know, I, I realize and I acknowledge that I am interested more in this as, as like I've said before, as a thought experiment, you know. What... What is more important, the corpse, the will to live? I think that's a, a question of religion, of faith, of philosophy, and it's an interesting thought. I just had to bring it up. But you make well, good the, points about it, for sure. But the only thing about it, though, is that I don't think it's a, a will to live. It's just, all right, it's time for you to die. No. Well, why? 
No. Why is it that worth enough to keep living? Because it's it has no purpose. It's just obstinance. But Obstin- why? Why is that? But why is that no purpose? I think that's why I'm saying this is a like a, a fundamental uh, philosophical difference. You know, I I might have said it before, but I'm an, I do not believe in any higher power. I don't believe in purpose of life, anything like that. I think I've said before, everything's meaningless and it always will be. We're just killing time till we die. So if if it's your time to die, whatever that means, and you say no and keep living, who the hell is anyone else to say that you should die? His body. His body is telling him he needs to die. But that I guess that gets to the point of, of this episode or not just this episode, just the idea of what's more important, the, uh, the concept of living as an entity that can think or the physical living. But if my body started to decay, I would find every way that I could transfer my consciousness into a different body and keep living. I wouldn't just lay down and die. And I think a lot of people would have that same mentality, that the physical body should not, physical capacity should never limit you and what your mind and mentality can do. And that's, I think, the root of why I am so intrigued by how this episode episode portrayed that idea. I can only hope he applies the same level of critical analysis to the closet episode. <laughs> I can only hope that the same level of thought went into that episode that went into this. I so can only a, hope. There's a, a, good be, a, good bit of, a good deal of thought went into the closet episode, but I would say that most of my effort went into how many R. Kelly jokes can I make while we talk about this episode. And I think if you don't have anything else to say, my last point of the case of the Stubborns was really that that thought experiment. If there's nothing else, and I'm, I think I'm ready to move to inside the closet if that's your next choice. No, it's not. Oh, no. That, oh, that's the you want to save that. Okay, so we don't have to start our counter for R. Kelly jokes yet. Perfect. <laughs> Okay, then, Zach, uh, do you want to describe the next one, or would you like me to do the honors? No, because I want to hear, I, I hear Rob explain all these things. I want to hear Rob explain okay, the okay. existential meaning of um, <laughs> being a tight, uh, a miser and seeing the devil in your coat closet. I want, I want to see Rob <laughs> explain the uh, philosophical meaning behind this and what it's mean for the, live, the will of living and all that. <laughs> well, you see, Zach, when the witch comes to the door, you can't answer it because... The will to live. But Rob, so what, happens when the, what happens when the devil takes your, your wad of IOUs and flushes <laughs> them down the, the coat closet at hell door? Well, you, ha- you have to follow it. So I don't have as much deep analysis about the first episode um, in terms of what the, the demons mean for him. But should I start, before we get into all that, should I start with the plot summary of, of Trick or Treat? Sure, Rob. Give, a, give your classic branded uh, rundown of this episode. Okay, Trick or Treat, I think we might have mentioned before, is the pilot episode to um, Tales from the Dark Side. Uh, in this episode, I would say very quickly, it is revealed that some old man uh, is has IOUs for everybody in the town. Like, literally everybody in the town owes this motherfucker money. I don't know how that happened, because once he got to, like, 70% debt saturation in the market, people would have went elsewhere. There is no way that everybody went to this guy, but whatever. That's the setting. He is literally owed money by everybody in town. And this guy decides, well, I have a love of torturing children, so I'm basically going to start the Hunger Games for parental debt. Like, if you win the Hunger Games, you don't get resources for your, your province or whatever they were called. You get your parents out of debt. So 
the gist is, I think it's only on Halloween. Correct me if I'm wrong, Zach, but it only happens once a yeah. year, like Halloween. The kids can come by. They can go into this guy's house. He's going to try and scare them with all these animatronics and different effects and things like that. Um, and if they can survive the house, if they can find the IOUs, it seems, then their parents get out of debt. Um, but apparently everybody's kid in this town is a fucking pansy. And no parent can effectively explain the concept of what is going on. Like, it baffles me. Like, you could train your child so easily to do this. I, like, fucking, I guess we'll talk about that more. But this guy, you know, scares what? Two children? Two children can't do it. I think we see him ferociously masturbating at one point just to convey to the audience that he is the worst fucking human in existence, that he's a debt eater, and he's getting his dick hard from scaring children. He seriously sucks. Like, he's the worst villain I've seen in years. But then he gets a knock on his door, which he thinks is another kid, but it's a witch. It's clearly a fucking adult witch that he decides to let into his apartment for some reason, or his house. And at this point, I kind of tuned out because I was very upset that this just became a fucking karma story. I was so upset that they started with a concept so intriguing as the Hunger Games for parental debt. I know it's not exactly the Hunger Games, but that's <laughs> I really like that saying, Hunger Games for parental debt. And it just, turned into, it just turned into him going, I was wrong. And it was like, okay, that's what I expected. But no, he is wrong. He gets scared himself. Like Zach said, the devil grabs the IOUs. I think he throws them all at some kid that is going to do the test at the end. And the kid is, like, very happy because he has all this fucking pieces of paper in his hand. And then it ends. And, um, yeah, what do you think? How'd that summary go, Zach? <laughs> all right. Um, I know that... I fell apart a little bit at the end because that's when I hated. I really hated the end of this episode. All right. Uh, this, is, this is the bastardization and the looking at it under the wrong lens. If, if, if somebody said, how can you look at this episode in the worst way possible, <laughs> other than the parental debt version of the hunger games <laughs> which might be my favorite uh, string of words in the english dictionary now uh maybe topping my my favorite term of all time malignant narcissism which might which might also explain that description of the episode but that's <laughs> yeah, a topic yeah. for another day uh no this is the ep this is my understanding of the episode you have this miser he it's a small little town in the middle of nowhere he he is he owns a little general store and it's a, I'm guessing it's a Midwest town. I'm guessing it's probably Depression era, if I had to guess. Okay, okay. And all the townspeople owe him money because it's been a bad year for farming. So they're constantly just borrowing him to make ends meet. Very early in the episode, we see how actually how the episode begins with two accountants from, I think they say, what, Philadelphia? Yeah, some, some big city, yeah. Some cities say, oh, we drive out here, what, quarterly? to account for all of his uh, of business records, which obviously shows that he has a lot of money, that obviously this accounting firm is willing to send two of its accountants yeah. out quarterly or however often to, to look at his financial sheets, which means that he does have a lot of money. And obviously mm -hmm. we introduced the fact, again, it's, it's the only weird thing I say about the, oh God, I guess it'd be what, the prologue with the accounts is that it feels very redundant once you get into the whole general store scenes. Sure. Even sure. though I like the, the whole fact that he's trying to scare the, the accountants, he, they, they're really hammering hard how much of a, a, a penny pinching miser he is. Yep. 
it, it, it's like, okay, you really didn't need it. You could have cut that three, four minutes out. You wouldn't have lost much. Mm-hmm. But no, we go to the general store, and we see the fact that a couple patrons come in, and it's established that every Halloween, like Rob said, that the kids find this wad of IOUs. He'll, he will, I'm not sure, does he forgive everyone's debt or just that kid's parents' debt? I, I took it as just that kid's parents. That's what I figure. Yeah, that's, that, that's how it seemed when they described it to me. All right, fair enough. So just that kid's debt. And as this happens, we see, I'm surprised Rob didn't, maybe he'll bring it up in a moment or two. But the first family that comes in, it's a father with his son. And the father's like, I'm not going to denigrate my son to, d- to be this way. I'd rather have you take my farm than, than subjugate my son to this sort of depravity. And the miser's like, well, we'll see about that. And the whole time the son's like, dad, let me do it. I want to help. And he's like, yeah. No. Then the second the second guy comes in. He's buying a little devil costume, which I think is hysterical. I think it's funny. <laughs> and he's like, "Oh, how are you doing, Mister Muldoon?" It's like, "See, I see. You have to charge this to your expense account." He's like, "You know, I don't have cash." And he's like, "Back in our day, we would just put costumes together with old rags." I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, that's, like that's the weird thing about this show. It's really hard to pinpoint like what decade or even era it's taking place in. Yeah, it's like it's all over the place. Uh, except for maybe the uh, word processor, because obviously that had to be early 80s at the very yeah, least. Yeah, sure, yeah, yeah. So you have that, and the, the, the second guy who's buying the little devil costumes, like, I trained my boy this year. I beat the crap out of him. He knows what to do. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, oh, man, there's there's some more of that Rob dialogue that Rob just going to eat up. And so, yeah, but he didn't fucking. No one trained their kid to do shit. Like, well, okay, okay. Rob's got to take his cynicism hat off for a second. Just like, <laughs> just yeah, not take it off that much. Just enough that it's not making contact with his head. And so we cut to it's Halloween night. The misers in a very spooky looking house. We'll get into how everything's how this episode is shot and lit. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think Rob's kind of missing the forest through the trees for this one a little bit because there, there, there's more to this episode than the narrative. I think. The narrative. I think. I think this episode fires on all cylinders. The narrative is the absolute worst part. I'll say it again because I said at the start. Cinematography in this is amazing. My first note on the cinematography was at three minutes into this episode. That's how quickly I started to enjoy what I was seeing. Yes, um, I, I. I know. I, I know. I enjoy this episode a little too much. I've shown this to people. I'm the only one that responds to it the way I do. Okay. So I, I'm definitely in the minority with this. Lord knows what Rob's opinion is in the grand scheme of things, <laughs> but but no. So we go to Halloween night. We see like uh, the house is very spooky looking, very dimly lit. Like a little girl like rings the doorbell, and we see we see the miser. He's putting the the wad of IOUs like up in the chimney, mm-hmm. and he has like a little like. And when the doorbell rings, he runs into his like his little control room where he yeah. controls all the stuff. Imagine like a poor man's haunted mansion. That's kind of the best way you could describe this. Yep. And he lets the little girl in, and he has, like, all these – that's one thing I, I love the design. Like, he has, like, all these levers and, like, pumps he uses to control all these things. Yeah, it's like a uh, – it's like the Home Alone version of a haunted house. <laughs> exactly. Again, it's like a poor man's haunted house. And the only thing I can imagine is, like, how would that look in real world? Like, having, like, all these, like um, – levers like positioned through your house it's like do you just set the house up one day a year for this or do you have <laughs> all these levers in the house like at all times i think the other 364 days of the year this guy actually becomes the man in the planet from Eraserhead, <laughs> and he's oh, pulling yeah. those levers <laughs> there, see i wasn't even thinking about that 
but yeah, so the little girl comes into the house and she's like, and he doesn't do much and he spooks her. Mm-hmm. And, and again, and it's all the the normal trappings of like of the haunted house. You're like a wolf howling. You hear like a bat flying by. Yeah. Speaking of the wolf howling, I know we hear it a few times, but I made a, a mention about 15 minutes into this episode. There's a wolf howl. Haven't done the comparison yet, but it immediately reminded me of the Gracie Films wolf howl that appears at the end of every Simpsons episode. Hey kids, Rob is more wrong than he's ever been. The wolf howl in Trick or Treat does sound familiar, but it has nothing to do with The Simpsons or Gracie films, which sounds like this. Instead, of course, it's the wolf howl from Wolf Studios, the creator of Law and Order. We'll have to to, to put some clips in, because I haven't done my research. We'll see if Rob's wrong or not. (laughs) All right, play the clips here. All right, folks, you decide whether Rob thinks he presented enough evidence. <laughs> but so you have that and the little girl runs out. And there's a couple there's a couple other ones where you have um, the guy who had the son with a little devil costume. Mm-hmm. The one that was beat that was had to beat like eh, was beat the crap out of him in order to teach him to do this. He goes and I'm not afraid of ghosts. <laughs> you know, he really reminded me of um, Stewie. From Freak, like he like he looked like, a, like oh, you know obviously okay. he's not the same actor, but like is there, like the the curly hair and like by the mm-hmm. voice, it's like ghosts aren't real, Ricky. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, like no, and so he goes to the house. He gets really close to getting the stack of IOUs, but because of the miser, he's like cold, cold, very cold. Mm-hmm. And he goes away, and I think I think it's what the polar bear that scares him, like, like the stuffed yeah. polar bear. Yeah, and the kid goes like, like running out of the house. At one point, like he like he almost runs out of the house, and his father's like, "Go get it, boy!" Mm-hmm. And eventually, the kid gets like run out of the house. And he's really kind of like terrified. And the father, who's like like said he was like beating his kid, is like kind of he comforts him. He, like that's one thing I yeah, give the actors yeah. in this. There is that. And then we pan back to the the first uh, boy that with the father that wouldn't let him do it yet he wanted to, and he sees his father like I don't know, like talking to his mother like I don't know what we're gonna do. We're kind of a uh, we're kind of uh, hit a, a point here. I don't know what we're going to do. And so he sees that. And we see him kind of like walk off into this distance, assuming that he's going to go to the miser's house. Mm-hmm. And then we cut back and like two other kids are like running out of the miser's house. And like he goes and he starts like laughing hysterically. And like one of like the, the prop bat stops working. And he's yeah. like, hmm. And so he like he hears like a knock at the front door. So he goes, runs back to his like control room. And I'm curious, how can he see the front door from his control room? <laughs> there's no t it's not like he has like, like, like a ring doorbell where he has like a little like ipod he can like oh yeah. look i can yeah. it's like, like i was trying to remember, like how many mirrors would you need it's just a series of tubes and mirrors that's a, you have to be like an insane amount of mirrors and tubes yeah. but again I, again it's not fun to the the, the pick at the stuff like it's just like, like the this. internet series of tubes <laughs> 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 true but no picking at how the logistics of this isn't really the point of it and so and this is you know rob doesn't like this point this is where it all starts to click for me i want to start tell me salivating. i want to know tell me why tell me why because this is the exact point when i was like oh karma i checked no out. okay so but tell me but, that. but that's tell not me. the point that's not what matters here or at least that part of the story only enhances everything else that goes on like uh, enlighten me I like the witch. I love the makeup. I think it, this is when it be, I, I love when things are 
I think this even goes back to Mandy, and I feel like I kind of forgot to mention this in our Mandy episode, where you'll be watching something, and it's like, I, I love, I don't want to say surrealist. I, I don't think that's true, but I love macabre stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, like Eraserhead is not macabre, or at least not in the sense that I like to, like, when I think sure. of macabre, I think of Halloween. I think of ghoul spirits in that kind of pulpy, fun way. Okay. This episode encapsulates everything that I love about Halloween, very similarly to things like, I don't want to say Mandy, but but things like, kind of like Creepshow. Kind of like, okay. say, this episode is probably the closest thing to Creepshow that's Halloween-based, because it just takes place around Halloween. Mm-hmm. But getting back to my point, though, I love things that are like, uh, especially when I don't know that it's coming. When things are kind of like, oh, you have a miser, and he's scaring kids out of his house with the most, again, a poor man's haunted house. Yeah. I, it's like, oh, okay, it's humdrum, blah dee da da And then, <laughs> out of nowhere, you have a full-blown witch. Trick or treat. <laughs> Who are you? You can't trick an old trickster. There are no treats for grown-ups tonight. <laughs> trick or treat. Who are you? Rickert? Muldoon? No grown-ups. Never on Halloween. <laughs> hey, you. Trick or treat. <laughs> Like, oh, but like, I love the makeup. I love how she looks. I love the actress, whoever's doing the witch. Mm-hmm. Everything about that moment is just, it's because you, you're introducing that surreal, um, yeah. absurdist, macabre element into a realistic story. Okay, okay. And I I'm think that's so why things like, again, I'm speaking specifically for myself. I can't speak for anything else. I'm not speaking for what, much like, or much unlike, the uh, case of the stubborns where i was projecting my thoughts about like oh deal like how you deal with an old man that's stubborn mm-hmm. where i have a little bit more experience that than the average person does sure well obviously i have no experiences interacting with witches that knock on my front door after i terrify children for the last probably 15 20 <laughs> years of my life i don't have firsthand experience of that unfortunately <laughs> yeah but fair. while i'm watching a story and this is what mandy was you have a story that's very much set in reality. Like the first, what, half an hour of Mandy is firmly set in reality? And yeah, yeah. And I, and I stated this in that episode where you have like the conch of Abraxas is blown and you introduce this wacko element, this gonzo wacko element to it. Exactly. And I'm like, oh, I'm like, okay, I'm, bu- I'm putting the seatbelt on, I'm buckling in. And it's from that moment in this episode when the witch shows up that it just goes off the rails in the most spectacular way possible. Not okay. in Women and Children or, or Book of Henry <laughs> off the rails. Like, this is clearly being done on purpose. Mm-hmm. But it's everything I want. Sure. Where okay. you have this witch, it's like, I wish they could make a movie today or anything where you have a witch that's meant to be that scary. And like Rob said, this ties into the cinematography, this mm-hmm. ties into how shots... Again, like, I've never seen... 
a TV show that's as poorly lit as this is at certain <laughs> points. Like, okay. I can't tell if it's because they had no money for lighting or they just said, you know what, we're going to hide everything in shadows because, A, it's cheaper and it hides all the, the seams. Okay. No idea. If someone can get a hold of George Romero from the, maybe we can bring him, maybe he has a case of the stubborns. We can bring him back to life. I don't know, <laughs> but that's why I want to know because at this moment, all the elements that before are just kind of like, Oh, it's not. Cause even like as the, this show is not on Blu-ray. It's mm-hmm. never been remastered. Like a lot of people complain. I think one of the reasons why this show does not have like a, a second life past like it's fan base in the eighties. If you can call it that is that a lot of horror movie people, like not me, but like a lot of people like that who are obsessed with technical details. Okay, hate this show because it's not remastered, and just oh. they hate how grainy it looks. Gotcha. Like there are people out there that like own three or four different copies of the, the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre on Blu-ray, which I think is the stupidest thing in the world because you want the most just damaged print of that film possible because yeah. you want it to look just. Uh, uh, gritty and grisly. You do not want a high definition cut of something that's not designed that way. Yeah, Certain films yeah. are not designed to have everything <laughs> in focus, mm-hmm. and that's what this shows. Like, I do not want a copy of this with everything remastered. It defeats the purpose of it, and I think that's where you have all these different elements. Where you have the old man miser story, the poor intentional lighting. You have the very basic storyline and then you introduce the witch in the macabre element into it and then it's just like boom grabs into some of its parts and that's where i am like i am i am buckling in and i'm like give it to me baby i want you f- i want every piece of you and that's where it's like she just shows up and she's and, and again everything i want and like how she it's unsettling how she cackles and all we do is get we don't get a full body shot of her the mm-hmm. most we get is her face and we see her legs flying a couple of times that is it because obviously they couldn't afford to do yeah. any sort of flying effect because that, that's yeah. expensive now to do never mind 35 years ago i even remember i was watching it's like i would have been thrilled just if you got the witch i would have been just as happy with that and then like rob says yes it it, it you also got to keep in mind this was also the early '80s. Mm-hmm. There wasn't there wasn't hardly as much media as there is now. There yeah. wasn't a fraction of it. So having a story like this based around Halloween was more or less unique outside of books and short stories. For television, Fair. this was relatively novel, mm-hmm. a novel concept anyway. And then the piece de resistance is then as as the IU, IOUs are just. Yeah, I don't think I mentioned it that the witch takes the IOUs and kind of does the fifty-two card pickup with them. Just yeah, lets them fly around the room. They kind of do like a whirlwind. He's trying to grab them all, and then at one point, like a coat closet opens, and we see again the lighting on this is just bizarre. It works. Don't know how it works, but it works. <laughs> but like the light, like they have the devil, and it's like very. I I don't I forget the name of the movie's escaping me right now, but. It's the movie with Tim Curry as the devil. Rob might know what it is. Oh. Legend? Is it Legend? Uh, maybe. I, I, I feel like, ah, uh, that's not. It could be Legend. That sounds right. Yeah. That might, whatever it is. Tim maybe we have, have to devil. update. There's not, there's not a lot of movies with Tim Curry as the devil. Yes. <laughs> there should be more. Don't get me wrong. There should be more movies with oh, Tim Curry as the devil. But there's only one of them, unfortunately, right now. <laughs> but you have again very similar makeup to that. 
and you see like all these like it, it's lit with red light and obviously like it, it, it's an abyss it's just mm-hmm. like it just keeps going yep. you have like all these other creatures that because the lighting is just so gonzo you have no i really idea how much of them blend into the scenery and how much of them are actually there and we and basically the episode or i guess the miser story ends with him crawling into hell from the coat closet portal as he chases his ious yeah and the next thing we know and, and you could end the episode there and all honesty, you could just end the episode there have the t- the the producer's names like rubenstein romero i forget what mm-hmm. the third guy's name is and you could end the episode there but no it gets better as the boy that we saw before that wanted to help his father goes, hi, Mr. So-and-so, I'm here to find the stuff. And the witch like opens the door and is just still doing her stick. She's cackling mm-hmm. at him. And obviously the witch being a force for good and all this, ironic, again, subverting your expectations. <laughs> Usually don't think of the witch as the, pers- as the force of good in the episode uh, uh, in the story. She had, like, the, the wad of IOUs goes like flying toward him. He like picks up three or four, catches mm-hmm. the one that's obviously the one that he needs. Um, this is a, I have a great Rob question, much like how Rob was asking the existential thing between a priest telling a, a corpse to relinquish his will to live. I have a great one for Rob in a moment, but we'll let Rob talk for a second. But basically how the episode ends, where the boy grabs it and he goes walking like away from the miser's house. And we see the miser's tombstone with the dates that he obviously lived, showing yeah. that he's now dead. And, cut, and the witch flies away and cut the credits. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree with everything you said in there. Um, but you, you are not, just so I'm clear, you are not stating that this isn't just a karma story. That's what it is. Someone does something bad and then gets in trouble for it. Well, and okay. yes, it's in an interesting Halloween shaped way, but at that, that's what that's, this story is, right? I, I, I think you're boiling it down to its essence where they know, again, it's a comeuppance story. I don't like yeah. karma story. It's not karma. Okay, I guess when I say karma come story, I mean comeuppance. That's what I think of as a karma story. But I think again, it's it's meant to be a fable. It's like it's the again, we've we've said a few times here now, where it's like there's only ten stories in the in the history of mankind. It's just how we repackage mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, you could make this story as bland as humanly possible. You could make it so bland where you could sit there, have, um, at the, instead of the witch being a witch, you could have it be the boy's mother. You could sit there, have it be one of the townspeople pulling a, 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 a fast sure. one on him. Mm-hmm. You could very easily do that. I think what elevates this beyond it just being, and then you're not wrong. It is, it's a comeuppance story. But I think what elevates it is that surreal element. Okay. At any, okay. At any, if this was made today, if we had the, and we'll get into the fact that there, I, I didn't even know about this until preparing for this episode, that the, the Roberto Orsi and Alex Kurtzman, the geniuses behind uh, the mummy with Tom Cruise <laughs> and the ones that drove Star Trek reboot into the ground, um, the ones that have every single one of their movies has Jesus blood in it. um they were going to do a reboot of this for the cw and thank god it got passed by like every network in existence yeah that's exactly what i found that like everybody turned it down when they when they made the pilot everybody just said no way exactly because i think it's again especially in today's day and age and again it goes back to like jordan peele's the twilight zone Mm -hmm. it's like that's what makes this show stand out. There are so many stupid shows about comeuppances. Most of the Twilight Zone is comeuppances. Most of Night Gallery is comeuppances. Mm -hmm. That's what most of these shows are about, is the fact that somebody is a jerk and they get their just desserts. Yeah. 
that's that there's a lot there's, there's a couple of segments of that in creep show where it's come up and most of creep show has come up and <laughs> but it's all about presentation it's all about how you position the story and how you tell it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and okay, i think that, that's, that's, what fair. that's fair yeah that's absolutely fair and i think you know that's something um that you know when i watch this again i'll have to pay more attention to or maybe be more willing to pay attention to it because I, you know, I've only watched it once for this recording and it really was kind of the, I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. Oh, it's a come up in story. I checked out, you know, but now that I'm aware of that and I'm not going to get blindsided or maybe not blindsided, but hit with that realization that it is a simpler story than I would have liked to see. I can focus more on the things that are going to elevate it. So I'm with you. I'm with you, Zach, for sure. Yeah, I think I think it's just all a matter of packaging. It's the whole yeah. idea. And it's like it's you, you'll talk to people and they'll be like, "Oh, I absolutely love um, Kit Kat bars." Mm-hmm. Yet they'll hate wafer chocolate cookies. Yeah, and it's yeah. like, what's what's the difference? It's all about just how it's packaged. It's just mm-hmm. again, one is the wafer on the outside, the other one's the chocolate on the outside. <laughs> yeah. But at the end of the day, it's six to one half dozen the other. Exactly. And I think it's all about it's matter of preference. And I think it's just the 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 style and how it's just again. It's funny now. I think about it, pretty much all of Creep Show is just come up in stories. <laughs> well, except, well, except for one. One of them's not a come up in story. But out of five stories, four of them are come up in sids. Mm-hmm. But it's it's the same story though. But they're all told in different ways. Sure, sure. But here's my Rob question. I'm ready. So the miser obviously had all the townspeople's debts. Yes. At, nope, and he's obviously an elderly man. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah. It's never stated that he has any family members. No, like, wife, no kids, no mm-hmm. nephews, no nieces. Because I don't think the accounts bring up the fact that, like, oh, that he has any family members. So we're, for the sake yeah. of argument, we're going to assume that he is basically the end of his family line, lineage. Sure. Mm-hmm. He goes off to hell, and with the tombstone at the end, he is presumed dead. Or you can assume yeah. that he's died. Yeah, yeah. Did the witch really need to give the boy the IOU? So here's my question. What happens to debt or debt that belonged to someone that once they die and they have no uh, next of kin or other family members, what happens to it? I guess it just dissolves, right? So uh, that's a good question. Does it go to the witch? Is I Satan think- <laughs> now in charge of all of it? Does Satan own the town? <laughs> that that we can only hope for. <laughs> that was actually when we were scouting areas for the Cinemodity's restaurant. We chose not to go to one town because Satan owned it. Oh, <laughs> um, but no, so the, the difficulty I'm having with this question, or I, not the difficulty, but the uncertainty that I have in answering this question, is because the debt is so spread out. Because when we see this stack of IOUs, it's a huge stack of IOUs. Presumably, it's for everybody in this town. And so, for every transaction. And for every transaction, yes. That's a lot of tiny, tiny valued IOU contracts. So I do know that if, if uh, assets or debt, when for people that die, if it's consolidated enough, it will usually get taken on by some firm. Uh, usually the government will try and take it on if they have a tie to that person's assets originally. Um, I I would imagine, just kind of guessing, extending that idea, if it wasn't so diverse, 
if it wasn't so diverse, if it wasn't so spread out his IOU statements that like the city council would step in and be like, we're going to buy this debt to some extent or absorb it. And we're going to use this money for the benefit of the town. I could definitely see some local government trying to absorb the debt and then use it, maybe cut it back and then use it in a beneficial way. But, how, okay. but my yeah, only question it. with that, though, is that he's dead. Mm-hmm. And you can't buy something from an entity that has no... Think about it, when you die, you relinquish ownership. So it's like so he has no next of kin. Let's, and let's say he owns... Again, there's no mention of the fact that he he himself has creditors. Yeah. Like if 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 he had creditors, yes. Like if he owed a bank, then yes, they would have to sit there, do that though. But my, that's my mm-hmm. question mm-hmm. though is that, for the sake of argument, let's say he had no outstanding debt. Okay. No, no, no surviving family. Sure. So essentially. So the question would become: the debt is, dissipates. is there a legal? direction for that debt to go or does it dissolve that's the question it, that, i think so it's just i guess it dissolves you know, and, and you're right because you know honestly if i was a member of that town and say the city council or you know whatever part of the government said okay we have this debt now you owe us half of what you owed him and we're going to use it for the city i'd probably go no like, like he died. I would, I would probably say what you're saying. It should be dissolved. That's a good. That's a good legal question. I guess it would um, have to be that they'd have to go look for an heir. Yes, and, of course, there'd be the due diligence, and and I think that would come into play. You know, if this person had any life insurance, but of course, the timing of when this episode actually takes place would play a role in that. Um, yeah, there are other layers of complexity to it. Uh, but I think that's a really interesting thought. You know, does it dissipate, or can someone absorb it? Hmm. I, I guess it would have to be that it uh, someone would, because obviously he has assets that would have to be like they have to sell his house and all his belongings because yeah. they can't just let a house sit there. Mm-hmm. So I would imagine probably the local government would have to appoint someone. Yeah. To oversee the oh god the what would be the correct term the the estate the selling off yeah the selling off of his estate. And I would imagine that whoever was appointed this would probably get a fee. Yeah. See, that, that, that's exactly what I'm thinking. The government is going to try and step in as much as possible. In the real world, I would imagine the government would try and get their hands in it no matter what. Because, of course, you have the, you know, uh, on the books it has many different names. But in the insurance industry, it's just very nicely called the death tax. You have to pay a lot when you die. Inheritance tax is another thing. I would sure they try – there's some – legislation some taxes or something that they could get their hands on that debt or money somehow but they whether it be whether it be federal or local i don't know that's interesting though because again it, but they don't have a right to it they have a right to for the sake of like again the house the fact that i don't know i, I, would I think for, i think that's where the question lies do they have a right to Right, thinking off top of our heads, no. But would the government, would some government somewhere put a law in that gave them that right? Absolutely, I could see that trying to get passed, and that's what I'm thinking exists. I guess we have to go to if he has a will. Ah, yeah. If so, how he would want his assets dispersed? Yes. If he didn't have a will, that then goes back to, I guess it'd be a probate court. So you know, I I, I agree with you there. The will. The answer of a will, I think, is not an answer, though, because I've, I've actually – this might be an extension of this, this Rob question you have. Let's say 
I, I have no next of kin. I die, and I put in my will literally everything I own, I have bought land for, and I want it all to be buried. My car, my TV, my books, my papers, my computer. I want all of my assets to be buried with me. It's an, it's an open question right now. Is that legally possible? That's a, that's a thing that I've posed to the insurance community. Can you do that in your will and say that all of this will come buried with me? I think it extends to that because who knows what this person puts in his will. What if he says all my money gets burned or something like that? All my money just dissipates. The government has to have some standing to say, no, we cannot honor this. I guess it would go into the court system. I guess it would go into the court system. Yeah, yeah. And it would probably, if, if he did have, I don't know, what would be the thing for having, what is the uh, result if you don't have any heirs? I guess maybe it, puts, it gets put in a trust somewhere or, or uh, yeah. something yeah, I mean, like that. It just, the, it just sits there until they find someone eventually. Yeah, and they being the government, the government gets their hands on it. They, well, if, they nobody claim, and, if nobody exactly. claims it after a while, probably. Exactly. So you're talking years. But I would imagine all the, if he didn't have a will, and, it, and if it was, and maybe again, yeah, it would probably have to be, um, it probably most of it would just probably dissipate into the wind most uh, over time. That's a great actuarial question. How much money exists like this today in America, and has that changed over time? That would be really, really cool. Well, we, it's funny. Now you talk about that, but there's no such thing as person. It's very rare for this sort of lending anymore, where it's like, yes. oh. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah, getting IOUs for six cents for a cup of coffee. Yeah, I don't know if um, even, like, you know, I think IOUs have to be much more formal to even hold up in court at this point. Yes. Because <laughs> I know he just, it's like fucking little index cards that he writes just IOU on. <laughs> oh, but sure. No, that, that was a good one, Zach. I like that. I yeah, like that. that, that I, as I was watching, I was trying to figure it out. I'm like, wait, the kid doesn't really need the IOU as long as the guy's dead. <laughs> I, I hope, I think maybe we can hope that the kid with all the IOUs he has He'll go to all those people in town and try and collect money from them. <laughs> he becomes oh, the new miser. He like passes, gets the torch passed to him. Well, one thing that's worth noting too before we move on to the final segment is that he has a costume, and yet all this is with a like a handlebar mustache, like drawn yeah. with like a sharp sharpie marker on his face. <laughs> yeah, and I can't yeah, figure out what the costume is supposed to be. I think it's just the fastest thing they could throw together. It seemed it didn't remind me of anything in particular. I guess once the light, the lighting budget went out the window, the costume <laughs> yeah. budget for everything but the witch and the uh, the devil was the next thing that went. Yeah, they were like everything else can be fuzzy. <laughs> the only thing I think is interesting though, and I'm trying to think if there's a connection between the fact that we see the the devil at the very end, mm -hmm. and yet we see the one boy in the devil costume. Okay, I mean, is there is there a connection there? Is, is there I, some sort of imagery or? symbolism that i'm missing out on the fact that you have this boy who's afraid as the devil attempts to go through fails and then it's the devil who eventually confronts him because we see that devil costume twice yeah so there's yeah. three appearances with devil i imagery three mm -hmm. times that never it, it didn't stand out to me in that way um but you know like i said before that might be something i have to pay more attention to when i rewatch this to formulate a true answer because that devil scene, you know, it stood out to me, of course, but I, I wasn't giving it the level. It was a disconnect, I guess. That's the best way to put it. The first part of the episode and the second part I was a little disconnected for. But like I said before, now watching them, realizing, understanding the whole as a better, uh, as a clearer object, then, you know, maybe I'll pick up on that. 
Yeah, I know. I, I never thought about it until just right now. I was thinking about it. the okay, fact that we okay, had. Right like, on, I don't right think on. it's. They could very easily make that fur that that boy's costume into a cowboy. Yeah. Yeah. Or mm-hmm. whatever. Some something generic. Yeah. Exactly. Maybe, maybe they just got their hands on on a, a, a devil costume. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe they had leftover red fabric from the big ones. They just figured, whatever. Yeah, it was the it's, easiest it's, thing it's to easy. make. <laughs> but I just think it's interesting that you, you have – I think about it. If, you, if you're making this TV show, it's not hard to find somebody who has kids and say, just bring one of their Halloween costumes and we need it for like a week, a week's worth of filming. Okay, yeah. I, like, I I get, just the fact that they specifically chose yeah. that, yeah, I wonder be. if there is some sort of symbolism there that I'm missing. Could be, could be. There'll be an update. When we do the another four episodes of Tales from the Dark Side, <laughs> I know for that, for that episode there is com. It's like I remember on the DVD box, it's like um, tales. It's like bonus features. It's like commentaries from George Romero, and I have like ninety episodes. There's only one commentary track, <laughs> and it's for that episode, and that's oh, it. okay. Okay, that's the only special feature on the entire box set. <laughs> one commentary oh, track on one episode. Oh man, that's that's lame. I gotta go back and listen to that now and see maybe um, if there is any clues given. Because I, I wonder. Because I think I listened to it once, and George Romero's just like, "I made this. This is a TV show that I was involved with in the '80s after we made Creep Show." Nice. That's it. It's like, oh, okay, like that's not really enlightening. That's just yeah, kind of stating yeah. facts. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's not a commentary. That's just like reading the Wikipedia page. Yeah, it's not really exceptional. <laughs> but anything okay. else, Rob, about Trick or Treat? No, that was all I had for Trick or Treat. I think. Right on. All right. And finally, our last segment is, Rob, would you like to say the title of this episode? Inside the Closet, the direct precursor to R. Kelly's Trapped in the Closet. That's uh, a joke. <laughs> so, oh, they're going to they're gonna be coming left and right. So, uh, first off the bat, I will mention, since we said his name already, this episode is directed by Tom Savini. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, the music in this episode is awesome. We'll get on that, I'm sure. But let's talk about the plot. Some girl is starting graduate school and she needs a place to live. I've been there. Multiple times, actually, unfortunately. (laughs) She finds the last room in town, as it turns out. And it is with a professor at the same university she's attending. Uh, He rents her a room and he says that it's the last room left in town because he's a very strict landlord. And so he's like, he uses this as the creepiest way to hit on her and says, I'm a very strict landlord, so you can't come in with any boyfriends you have. Do you have any boyfriends? It's so creepy. But she says no. Um, He takes her up to the room. He shows her the room. She's like, is this the closet? He says, yes, but I lost the keys. It can't be opened. I haven't opened it in years. And so, sets the stage right off the bat. It was like, clearly, the title is inside the closet. They're mentioning the closet this <laughs> this attentively so early on in the episode. And, of course, I think she goes to bed that first night, and the doorknob starts to turn. The closet doorknob, you know, from the inside of the closet, we see it turn. Um, so, Or I should say, something from the inside of the closet is turning it. She says, it's a rat. He has a great response and says, there's no rats in this house. <laughs> Just, like, leaves for work. And so he basically brushes her off that she thinks something's in that closet. He's like, you can't open it. Um, she she gets it open. I think that's the next scene we have where she actually is able to open it with the key to the door to her room. And it's just a little empty space. It's just like a little, you know, room. It's not even crawl space. It's just a tiny little area. 
later that night, the same night, I think the door opens on her. Like, uh, when she's sleeping, the door opens by itself, and we see something run under her bed. Immediately, I wish I had done a commentary for this episode. I've kind of stopped doing my commentaries for a lot of stuff. But What? As- yeah, what? I have. I've been doing. I've just been doing my notes like as I watch it. I've just been streamlining the process. But as I was watching this, it's a little closet door. You know, it's it's a very small door. It's shorter than you know normal people. So as soon as something runs out of it, I screamed, "It's Big Man! It's Big Man!" I'm sure Zach thought it was Big Man. How could you not think it's Big Man? <laughs> and so, Big Man runs out of the closet, hides under her bed. She, I think, senses it. She wakes up. She looks at the closet, sees that it's open, maybe. There's nothing in there still. Um, and I think that's the next morning. I might have missed the point. It might have been the previous night where she puts a rat trap in there because she thinks it's a rat. But that just disappears. She goes back to the guy who rents the house and says, There's fucking rats in my closet. And he goes... Well, then they must be eating rutabagas, which is the greatest response to anybody complaining in a landlord-tenant relationship, right? Like, I don't know if Zach remembers this story. If I told him about it, it was before the podcast. But my bottom floor of my apartment became a water park at a certain point. I had a pipe burst. A whole ceiling tile fell in. If I had called maintenance and been like, my pipes burst, and they said they must have been eating rutabagas, I would have lost my fucking mind, okay? So... He says they should have been eating rutabagas because they're brain food, apparently. More on that in our snacks later, Zach. <laughs> the guy doesn't give a fuck. At this point, uh, I guess I won't give what I thought. I'll continue on with the plot. This woman is convinced that this there's something in this closet, whether it be rats or not. Rats or not. She comes back one day, and she sees the closet open, and there's a shitload of baby stuff. Like, there's dolls, there's little girls' clothes, things like that. She reaches her hand in, gets caught on the rat trap that had disappeared previously. Next instance, I think the next thing we get, is she asks the guy about his family. The wife is dead. The daughter moved away, I think, lives in Vermont or something like that. Um, But then the next time she sees the closet open in her room when she's by herself, she decides to open it up and... And it's none other than Big Man. It's an earlier version of Big Man, I would imagine, right? And no, in all honesty, it's some type of ghoul or gremlin or, I don't know, creature from the Black Lagoon without the lagoon? Like, it's the dry version of the creature from the Black Lagoon? But this thing just attacks her, it cuts her up, and it drags her into the closet. I was fine. No problem with this. Next scene... Guy comes out talking to the mother of the daughter and has another great line. He says something like, I saw your daughter last night. No, I haven't seen her this morning. Well, I agreed to give her a place to live, not to become her legal guardian. It's awesome. That's a great, once again, great landlord you got here. (laughs) As he's on the phone, we get an awesome shot of this creature coming down the stairs in the background. It sneaks up on the guy. As he hangs up the phone, it gets to his ankles. He screams. You think it's going to get him, but, well, you're supposed to think it's going to get him. (laughs) But he actually knows about it, and he cares for it, and he loves it, and he brings it back up to the room to just put it back in the attic. Does that summarize it well enough, Zach? I tried not to give too many of my personal opinions in there. (laughs) Not too many. (laughs) No, I I, I think you did a pretty good job of it. Can I give you my main problem, then, with it? (sighs) 
god. Sure, go ahead. Right off the bat, the guy's in, the guy knows about it. Like, if you think the guy is unaware that there's a goddamn demon living in this attic, like, come on. It's so obvious that he's in on it from the start, and I was offended by the, the surprise reveal that the creature was, like, what he thought of as a daughter or something like that. Like, get the fuck out of here. That was not a surprise at all. Like, you, Zach knows me. I don't care about spoilers. I like things to be spoiled. I would much rather know the start and end and envision the path between them than just have a starting point that could go anywhere. That's me. That's my mentality. And this was just, this was like ten times that, where they were just clearly like, you get it? You see what's going to happen? And it just very straight line got to that point. Not that I didn't like some of the suspenseful scenes with how it kind of made me feel on edge, but just the ending, when it revealed that he cared about this thing, he knew about this demon. Fuck you. That did not need to be a surprise. I got it. Make it more interesting. Add another layer to it. That's my big problem with this segment, Zach. And there was uh, less R. Kelly than there should have been, but that goes without saying. There's no Sylvester. There's no guns in these closets. And then I pull up my demon, and it ain't my new tenant. You know, something <laughs> like that. <laughs> e, was it E minor all day? E major all day. E major all day, damn. I think that means we're going to have to do another episode on Trapped in the Closet, where Zach watches the second half, actually. (laughs) How how many more uh, chapters are there? Are we up to 60 or past 60 yet? No, no, it's still 33. No new ones have come out. All right, so my thoughts on this. It's not not as good as Trick or Treat. I I concede that. (laughs) But I think, once again, you're looking at this under the lens of 2018. (laughs) I think you are, once again, you're judging this by a standard that it was not designed for. I don't know. I I like to think that I would have a similar ability, maybe not ability, similar desire at least, to to care about where the story's going to observe this. It was just so blatantly obvious to me, Zach. But but the people watching this in 1984, I don't think it was. I know, but that's what I'm pushing back on, that I honestly think... They were, or were able to, I should say. Well, the whole point of him is that, no, I don't think you're supposed to think that he's completely in the dark. But I think the whole thing is, is that something, he's supposed to be just as mysterious as whatever's in this closet. Okay. Because we don't know, because he, he's a veterinarian, or he's a, uh, uh, yeah, he's a veterinarian. Well, he teaches, yeah, yeah, he's the, he's the uh, head of the like veterinary department at the school that they're talking about. Yeah, and so... And numerous times we cut to establishing shots of the house or different scenes where we see the uh, stuffed heads on the wall. And again, he's supposed to be just as mysterious. We don't know what role he has in this story until the very end. And that last bit is meant to sit there be, okay, and it's the last part of the story unraveling as to what his role is in all this. Like, Because I think part of the story is too... Is, is he trying to do something? Is he the one that's supposed to be trying to scare her? Because it's made very clear early on in the story that he, that he um, he's very particular with his tenants. And who knows? Mm-hmm. Maybe he's the one that's scaring her. Maybe he has a little stupid dummy or he has like a, a, a pet. Maybe – I don't think until the very – until we see the, the creature's eyes – so now at one point when it goes under the bed and we see like yeah. where the, the, the eyes are highlighted, mm-hmm. they were supposed to think, okay, this is something a little bit more supernatural. Or something outside the realm of our reality. Like, no, I, I, like, getting to the shows overall, though, no, this show is not timeless. This show has more or less faded from existence. And no, I don't think this is meant to be like a, uh, 
I'm trying to think. What, what's a creature feature that everybody knows? It's not meant to be a... Gremlins. Yes, exactly. This is not meant to be a gremlins. This is not timeless by any way, shape, yeah. or means. But I think if you're watching this in 1984, and I think even to this day, and again, it depends on who's watching. Like I am the, the prime audience for this sort of thing mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. 2018. I am the, they couldn't ask for a better audience 35 <laughs> years later. Because yeah. as I was watching this, you know, I've seen this now a couple of times. I was buying into the suspense of all this. Like I love the fact that there's very little dialogue in this. Like if this was remade today, like the female character would not shut up. Just would not shut up. Every three seconds, she'd be like, like she'd be on the phone. So, but mom, I'm telling you, something's mm-hmm. happening. Or would yep. see on her, see her on the computer. So uh, today, I'm going to sit there. Like if this was remade today, this is why. Oh my god, I, I hate remakes. She <laughs> would have her. She'd buy. She would see her going to the store, and she'd be buying an iPhone stand from the Seven Eleven, and would be seeing her positioning it in the corner of the room as she sleeps. Yeah, she'd probably be her, running a vlog or something at the same time. Something like that or or because she can't talk she'd be doing a blog and she'd feel uncomfortable so she sure. has to make sure it'd be something really contrived and mm-hmm. i think the limited budget the fact that we only really have two locations we have the bedroom and we have what the foyer that that's kind of the only yeah. two locale and there's what an establishing shot of the house every now and again yeah 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 but i think in that budgetary limitation which people have to realize that's if you're trying to work on media a limitation in budgets one of the best things that can ha- help your creativity flourish mm-hmm. uh having your back against the wall definitely helps creativity and i think yeah. that's what this is though because like you do it's mostly quiet and you're watching the actress i don't know if she went on to do anything bigger or better than this i don't looking at the credits i didn't recognize her name uh but how again i don't again tom savini's done some things here and there directing nothing mm-hmm. really super duper high profile but i think this if this, ep- this segment has any problems it's with the story not with the execution of the story i think for a story involving a woman renting a room from a sketchy professor and mm-hmm. you have a little creature living in the closet i don't think you could do any better with the resources they had in 1980 something okay i i guess you could very easily turn this into a 10 million dollar thing where you have all these yeah, okay yeah. is it psychological because at no point in this is, is it made out that she's losing her mind you, yeah. I, the perspective that we're given is that this is all happening to her, and mm-hmm. she's trying to discover what this thing is in her closet. Exactly. Because we know that obviously the trap disappears. We see the toys. He alludes to the fact that the only other room that connects to the closet's the attic. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and so I do think th- there's many ways you could take this. There's many ways you could. That's one thing I gotta say about this show, or at least the segments that we discussed tonight. Is that you could stretch them out into definitely longer than twenty-two minute long uh, oh, serials, yeah. but I I don't think that's what they're going for. I think it's meant to be very bite-sized. It's mm-hmm. meant to be watched, and I don't even know. I, I don't know what network this aired on. I have no idea. I think this aired. They think they said typically after midnight. Yeah. Again, it's it, it's fodder for late night viewing. I don't think this is meant to be watched at two o'clock on a Thursday afternoon. I, mm-hmm. I I'm not saying Rob watched it at that time. I, actually, I think it, I actually watched it this morning at like eight a.m. Well, okay, <laughs> there you go. And that's, and that's it, it's like um, I forget what were we watching. I said I watched it at the worst time possible. Odd sack. <laughs> Odd sack. Yeah. Oh yes, yes. I watched Odd sack under the worst conditions possible. And I think that's kind of what this show is. Like some of these shows are, it's, I remember there's a story with the, I think it was the Friday the 13th TV series 
Well, when that show first started, it used to air at like 11 o'clock okay. at night. And then like it got more and more popular as time went on mm-hmm. until it started airing at like 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And that's when like the Bible, the Bible bangers would sit there, complain ah. about it being on during dinner time, and say, get this, what is this smut doing on TV mm-hmm. to begin with? Never mind when my kids are in front of the TV. And I think certain shows like this, you have to, maybe it, this is a caveat with watching something like this or maybe anything part of Monstober is that you can't like you can watch okay, I'm trying, you can watch Star Wars any time of the day and you will get you're either going to get it or you don't mm-hmm. you're either going to love Star Wars or you're not going to love Star Wars and you can watch it on an iPhone in an IMAX movie theater or anywhere in between and chances are you will appreciate it to some capacity Watching Tales from the Dark Side in a crowded airport is a much different experience than watching it by yourself at 11 p.m. at night on a stormy night. Yes. Com- yes two completely right. different experiences, and I think that changes how you watch something. Like I've Absolutely. watched – it's like, like another one example. It's like when I watch The Shining. I've, I've, been, I've critically analyzed The Shining before where it takes some of the mystique out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've. I, I remember once I watched the. Sh- I put the Shining on. And I fell asleep and I woke up during the Room Two Three Seven sequence. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my god! I'm like, what? Did, what did I get myself into? Yeah, I've watched that scene countless times, dissecting it. I think it's all a matter of the the context or the surroundings of how you watch something. And I yes. think if, if this show, if, if there ever was a a piece of media that needs that, it's like a. I think I think Rob and I have discussed it not on this podcast. Is with a racer head. Like you watch a racer head for the first time at ten o'clock on a Thursday, you have ruined that movie for yourself. <laughs> you will never be able to appreciate that movie properly. But what I what I think you said, you're exactly right about the Tales from the Dark Side episode. Even though I watched these episodes at you know, well at like eight in the morning, um, I was very much on edge in this inside the closet episode in the scene where you know the the big man runs under her bed. <laughs> And she wakes up and she goes to investigate the closet and nothing's in there because it's under her bed. But that whole scene, you know, it sets up the anxiety. It sets up the anxiety of her, you know, looking through the closet. You get why she's afraid. But at the same time, you have the whole you're like, oh, it's going to be behind her type of thing. And it builds the suspense in a great way. Yes, I probably didn't feel as much suspense as I would have as I watched it late at night. But I still felt it. And that's what I really liked about this episode. Good. It's like comedy. Comedy is very fragile, mm-hmm. and I think horror is very fragile because it's yeah. very it's a it's precarious to begin with. If you do if you do the slightest thing wrong, it sets everything else off, and it doesn't do it any favors. That's a real I, I like crashing that. down. Like yeah, yeah, and I think uh, again, like I said, not, like, not to take it away from uh, the closet episode. Because no, I don't. I, I think Trick or Treat is the the perfection of of this show. I don't think there's anything better than that because it, it gets everything right. It has it has a, the there's there's no moral to the story mm-hmm. of, of the closet one. Yeah, it's, it's just it's, someone died. <laughs> we yeah, think. well, yeah, yeah, but it, it's probably the most macabre story of them all because this girl she's she's a she seems to be a hardworking college student. She follows all of his rules except the closet. Mm-hmm. The, the closet thing, which I what would if she didn't mess with the closet, would would the creature have come after her all the same? I I am gonna say yes because I honestly, of course, this is not explained in any great detail. Um, I guess my headcanon for this episode 
is that this person, the guy, the renting, the landlord of this uh, rental room, is taking care of this creature, and he's renting out this room to feed people to it. That's how I just kind of rationalize this to myself. And it makes sense to me when he says, I got the only room that's available. Well, it's because, like, yeah, a week ago someone rented it and then got fucking eaten. So it's like, of course I have the next room, of, of the only room available, that type of thing. That's just how I rationalized it to myself. All right. Because that's that's the only thing, though, is that I think it's, again, it's another more, it's a story of, again, it's that's the thing with Tom Savini. Tom Savini's, I don't think, is concerned. He's concerned. His probably main concern with this was, I want to make a cool-looking creature. Yeah, that's exactly what I was about to say. He's concerned about the visuals, about the, wants, uh, the costume to, freak. Yep. Yeah, and he wants to cut his teeth saying that he directed something. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> I think, again, because there really is no moral to this, because they could have said, they could have made it a little bit more obvious, is that she obviously, what's the old saying? Um, Curiosity killed the cat. Oh, okay, okay. And I think that's what, they could have hinted maybe a little bit more at the fact that if she would have left well enough alone, yeah, maybe, like, maybe he would have said something like, oh, make, after the rats eat their rutabagas. <laughs> maybe he could have said something like, oh, make, I've heard the rats, are, the, the only rats we have around here are spectators. Mm-hmm. Unless they're unless they're properly provoked, and that's maybe if he, he had maybe one line of dialogue like that, yeah, maybe it would have been like okay, maybe if she left well again, she broke the rules. Yep. Yeah, you're right. And guess what? She paid the price for it. And that's and maybe that they did that though, because otherwise the story at face value is just this girl was doomed the moment she knocked on his door. You know what? Uh, if they had explained that in any capacity. What you just described, if that was their twist on this relationship of the of the man, the woman, and the and the creature, I would be less offended by the twist at the end. Because I really saw it as he knows about it. He's doing this to do, you know, he, he's doing this for a purpose, you know. Why would he scream when this creature gets to his ankles? Like, that's that's stupid to me. He's aware of it. If that's the first time he's realizing this girl couldn't leave well enough alone and this creature got her, that makes a little bit more sense to me. So I like that, Zach. Well, I think the reason why he screams, because obviously you need that dramatic flourish in there at the end. For uh, Tom Savini obviously understands you need that. You need that little sting at the end. But I think the reason why it's there, narratively speaking, is that I think this creature more or less lives in its cubbyhole, Mm -hmm. in the attic. And for it to be in the foyer, it's kind of like you have a pet, for example. And you have Uh... a, a pet that's normally contained to... Let's just say the top floor of your house. Yes, yeah, yeah. And you find uh, you're about to walk out the front door, and your pet's coming along with you. It's like whoa! It's like it's it's one of those. Mm. I, I yes, it's meant it's meant to be a shock value because also think about what this again. Like I said, this probably aired at like midnight on like a Saturday yep. night. Yep. It's meant for like ten year olds or twelve year olds or teenagers who are staying way up past their bedtime, <laughs> and it's a nice little again. It's again, it, it's what horror used to be when times were much more simple. Sure. It's, it's that, like how, I cannot I cannot disagree with you there. I think that's again like it's funny. We, we, horror always had these things where it's it's trying to pander to the new young generation. Mm-hmm. It's like mm-hmm. when we were when it was our thing. Okay, what was horror when we were growing up? What was like the grudge? Like the grudge and like the The Ring. The Ring. What was that uh, called? The J horror? Yeah, yeah, the J horror. Yep. You have that, and then like as time will go on, it became what paranormal activity, which was mm. pandering to teenagers, 
and now it's the conjuring and annabelle yeah. creation oh we had our, our our middle i think it was our middle school maybe late middle school period where we got like the um the hostels and the softcore porn mixed with horror that type of stuff well that's not mainstream like that's that's oh that's okay not sure. pg third like the grudge was like the the sure. sarah michelle geller okay. grudge okay. i was so meant you're, you're looking at a consumption. different perspective i know the horror that people were talking about that i was talking to that was a huge deal that's why it came to mind well well i mean no I, okay um mass consumption yeah, for yeah. Oh, yeah, for yeah. teenagers to cut their teeth on like no what you said is exactly right you know that switch to paranormal activity was uh, yeah right there exactly because back in the 80s there were no especially when this was when this show was being started there was no pg-13 you had pg mm-hmm. and you had r yep and other than things like gremlins which was one of the catalysts for getting the pg-13 rating on top of like i think it was what Temp- indiana jones and the temple of doom yeah yeah was you you either went cutesy or you went hardcore oh, like yeah. a cre- creep show is rated r because you do have a lot of uh not blood and gore, but you have blood. It's very uh, disturbing imagery. Yeah, yeah, things like that. And where you could do something like this, but you had to be toned down. Yeah, it's like I imagine when George Romero went into whoever he pitched this to. It's like we're doing Twilight Zone with Creep Show, and they said, "Okay, that's that's easy to digest," and and that's what it is. It's it's Twilight Zone meets Creep Show. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, I mentioned it briefly. I wanted to know if Zach picked up on it because I think it was a little different. At least it stood out to me more than the other episodes. The music in this episode, very synth. I thought it was mixed perfectly. I think it built the the uh, the suspense in the scenes where it needed to. When she was going up to the closet and there was like some you know synth arpeggio getting louder and faster and faster. What did you think? Did that stand out to you? I, I didn't really notice that until this recent viewing. No, I really like that. That's another oh, element yeah, to this I that, that deserves that. some credit.
Yeah, I think the other one um, that deserves some credit, another part of this that I really enjoyed, um, well, there's two more that I have to talk about. Uh, another one that was, I think, you know, specifically created by the people who, who made this is when our main character, Gail, I believe her name is, when she goes back into her room and she sees the closet open and she opens it and she finds, like, a bunch of little girl clothing and toys... That I loved that scene. One, I didn't expect it. I never expected this closet to kind of fill with something. But when she reached in and she got caught by the mousetrap, I was like, great. Like, this this creature lives in this little space. She opens it up, you know, unwantedly, assumingly. She puts a, a trap in there. It disappears for a day. The next time she sees it, it's like this creature has created a human trap for her. It's like this woman is intrigued by these little girl clothes and these baby dolls and stuff like that. I love that concept that whatever is trapping her was actually doing it in an intelligent way. I love that little scene right there. Well, my question with that sequence is the dolls in the the, the little girl bedroom decor mm-hmm. come and go so quickly. Is that meant to be surreal, like that actually happened, or like 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 the little creature perfectly arranges all this stuff to set her up, or is that just meant to add to the whole just surreal nature of the fact there's a little creature living in the closet? I could take it either as I could. I honestly think I could go either way because in the surreal sense, no problem. This creature, you know, it it's a creature. It might have some crazy abilities, and if it's intelligent, it might have this stuff in its living space. And if it's been doing this for feeding, it would know how to trap people, maybe. At the same time, if it was being put there, maybe the man is involved in it in some way. And he's been saying things about his daughter. This used to be my daughter's room. You know, I I lost the keys to the closet. And then it turns out that there's a bunch of little girl stuff in there. Maybe that's his way of drawing her in. So I think this is I'm going to I'm going to pull one. I'm going to pull Zach. Zach, I'm going to be indecisive. (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) But I loved it. I really loved that idea because in either situation, it's I, I think of it as a trap, and I, I really think that was a neat touch on the relationship between this woman and this creature. The last one I have for you, Zach, I would be remiss if I, if I did not mention it. Um, when our main character asks, uh, sorry, when our landlord asks our main character if she has any boyfriends, she says, nope, uh, you know, just my studies or whatever. And he says something like, no loud music, all that things. And she says, I only have my slide projector. And I think she even says she won't play it at night or yeah. use it at night. So a slide projector, of course, for anyone that doesn't know, is just you have a machine, with a shitload of slides in it, and you hit a button to switch through the slides. It is literally the inspiration for PowerPoint. Um, so she, we only get to see her using her slide projector at one point. But she is looking at different sections of the Hieronymus Bosch painting, The Garden of Earthly Delights. I don't think Zach knows this, but in my entire apartment, I have many posters. I have a shitload of posters. I have so many posters that some people say it's immature how many posters I have. Only two of them are framed. One of them is the Eraserhead poster that Zach gave me many, many years ago. Oh my the, god. The other framed poster I have I have is a copy, a very big printed version of the Garden of Earthly Delights by Hieronymus Bosch. It is my favorite painting of all time. It 
I've never talked about it before, but it is an inspiriority. I spent hours looking at this painting. It's amazing. I highly recommend looking into it. And we get to see it. It is included in this episode. I love that, Zach. It's a great painting. Check it out. Garden of Earthly Delights. It's awesome. I'm, I'm guessing you did that? not. I'm guessing you did not pick up on that, Zach. <laughs> is, is there any insight you can give between the painting and this episode as to why maybe they specifically chose that? So, so that uh, is, I was, I definitely was thinking of that, but uh, I can't. Nothing comes to mind immediately. So, the full painting of the Garden of Earthly Delights—it's a triptych, and a triptych is a piece of wood and a, a rather large piece of rectangular wood, and on both ends there's hinges with two smaller pieces of wood that act as shutters to the main piece. And what a triptych is, is there's a piece of artwork on the main piece of wood, and then each of the frames has artwork, or sorry, shutters have artwork on it as well. The idea of the Garden of Earthly Delights is that the left shutter is the creation of Earth, and you have Adam and Eve, You, I think you have God in there, you have a lot of, you know, Garden of Eden imagery, the Garden of Earthly Delights. That's the left panel. The middle panel, and the biggest, is the same area. It's the same thing that he painted, but with now a shitload of people. It is supposed to represent this is people coming into the world. And it's crazy. It's everybody, you know, basically partaking in the human enjoyment. There's People having sex, there's people eating, there's people playing music. It's, you know, representing that golden age of humanity. The last panel is the fall of humanity. Once again, it's the same place, but all the people there are doing terrible things to each other. They're stabbing each other, they're torturing each other, people are falling into vats and turning into other things. I think there's a lot of gambling imagery. Now, here's the thing. The only pictures that we get to see of this painting in this episode are from the third panel are from when basically hell has taken over. So we don't really have much of a sense of a transition. So I, here's, here's my, my, I gave you my good long analysis of that painting. Here's my answer to your question, Zach. I don't think it relates to this episode in particular. I think it's used because at the start of the episode, our main character says she's studying a graduate student in the fine arts. So, of course, she would know this painting. This is a wildly famous painting. This is the most famous painting of Hieronymus Bosch ever. And it's the, I think it's the only one people actually know he painted as well. But anyway, she's a student of the fine arts. If you have to demonstrate that she's doing something with her slide projector related to the fine arts, and this is chosen by Tom Savini, I would guarantee that he's inspired by this painting as well. Buckethead is inspired by this painting. There's a whole Buckethead music video that is using imagery from this painting. So that's what I think it is. I think it's just a nice touch by someone else who appreciates it. All right. That is the last thing I have to mention. If you have nothing else, I guess it's snack time. Oh, boy. Woo! Well, uh, I've made more work for myself because I think I've mentioned a few things for the restaurant so far in this episode, but I haven't written them down. So when I edit this, I'll have to add that to the spreadsheet. But we have to talk about real snacks, right? Oh, yeah. So I know we have to talk about real snacks. I do have a food item I want to pitch. But before that, I think that we have a way to improve a previous Cinemodities menu item. Do you recall, Zach, near the start of Monstober, my pitch at the end of the Goosebumps episode was that we should use the evil camera to turn someone into food. And then we serve that as the dish. 
So, so that's a great idea. I think that that's uh, going to sell like hotcakes. The problem is we don't have control over the evil camera. We could be sitting there for hours trying to take a picture of somebody until they turn into a food. Hell, something might happen where we can't turn them into a food. That's no good. That's not efficient. So here, here's my pitch, Zach. S junk the evil camera. Evil camera's no good in the Cinemodities restaurant. We get the word processor of the gods, and we just straight up type like, Zach is a chocolate cake. Execute. Serve that. Done. What do you think? Clever. Save on so, food costs. So we have, yes, we have just, okay, we have a, a new valuation for the company because we've just become more efficient. <laughs> do we have so to turn people into food? Considering we can now produce all the food we need, do we still have to turn people into food? Yes, yes. Okay. A hundred percent. <laughs> that, that, go, that goes along no matter what. There's no stripping that idea. Okay. Yes. The, it, yes. It's gonna. The, we're gonna use the word processor of the gods. I, I envisioned using that in our restaurant for two things. One, when people order this, I guess goosebumps slash um, tales from the dark side meal, we would use it to turn someone into food. The other use I'm envisioning is that when the health inspector shows up, we make them disappear. <laughs> That's that's what I'm pitching right now. I'm sure it's gonna have more uses, but that's the only ways uh, ways I want to employ it right now, because it might overload. We can't. We don't want to destroy this. So essentially, what it is is the word processor of the gods. It's essentially our Deus Ex Machina for any problem we might have in the <laughs> Cinematis restaurant. It basically yes. it basically. Uh, paints us out of the corner that we we get ourselves into. Yeah. So what? It took us forty episodes to come up with a Deus Ex Machina. <laughs> well, maybe even less because we didn't start with the Cinemonies restaurant idea. No, that came later. But yeah. So yeah, I think that's it's going to be our safety net for sure. Okay. Because you know, Mark Cuban's money is only going to go so far. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I don't know how I can top that. I really, I, I don't know how I can top a machine that gives us pretty much anything we want, carte blanche. Well, I did have one more dish that is a food that I can, I can tell you. Um, All right, it's the rutabaga inspired one. So, uh, rats, rutabagas—that just blows my mind. I, I've, I don't like rutabaga. I think the times I've had it, I don't, I've never heard that it's a brain food. But I think people can say fucking anything is a brain food because it gives you energy, like. Like, even sugar for, like, two minutes would be a brain food, right? Like, what does that mean? Anyway, um, here's my here's my pitch. Let's just, we're going to have rats. I think it's just any any place you rent, own, whatever. We're going to have rats. going to have some type of pest. Assuming we have rats, let's capture them. Let's cook them up. Serve them with a side of rutabagas. Rats and rutabagas. Rob's rats and rutabagas. What do you think? And you use the word processor of the gods to turn it into chocolate cake at your convenience. <laughs> you got to pay extra for that to That's use extra. the word processor of the gods. <laughs> because I know if a restaurant gave me the opportunity to use the word processor of the gods, that restaurant would be gone. Like, I'd be that asshole. I'd be like, Cinemonity's <laughs> restaurant does not exist. Execute. Like, no question about it. So we have to control for that. <laughs> oh my lord okay so what do you think we got we got the wordpress with the gods we're gonna employ that and we got robs rats and rutabagas if you don't have any other snacks Zach, are we on to the next questions oh yeah i i guess in i have to say in terms of late night movie i'm gonna go yes i i think this is perfect for people i know that to show it late at night 
especially with the uh, the popularity of things like Black Mirror these days. I know a lot of bl- people who are intrigued by the idea of Black Mirror, but they can't stand the fact that episodes, some episodes are an hour, some episodes are two hours. It's not quick to watch. So I think they would latch onto this much better, and I think some of the ideas are interesting enough that they um, allow themselves to get responses out of people that I'm looking for from late-night movies. Cinemodities, though, there's no way I can see this as a cinemodity. Um, This is an anthology horror series. None of the ideas blew my mind. There was great imagery. There were some really cool touches to this stuff. But at the end of the day, it's nothing I haven't seen before. And I know Zach's going to say, or he said before, he might say again in response to this, you know, you got to think of how this would have been received back in the day and when it released in the 80s. But as far as I'm concerned for a cinemodity, it's how it matters now. And this, this is not odd enough. This is just another stepping stone in building up horror in these types of series. What do you think? All right, he uh, he's right on the first part. Second part, he's wrong. Okay, I figured um, as much. De- de- <laughs> de- definite late night movie, uh, or at least what we watched. This is sooner or later probably going to be a Halloween projector item because of okay. just how weird it is. Yeah. Uh, Cinemati, I, I Rob's like, oh, I've seen this before. All right, Rob, show me some. You give me another thing like the trick or treat where I get the witch and the Satan in the broom closet. You give me another something just like that where I have bizarre editing, bizarre lighting, weird imagery. You're even asking this question from the wrong perspective. When I'm answering cinemodities, I don't give a fuck what you've seen before. I care what I've seen before. So that's what I'm saying. Your question is moot to my point. I have no reason or burden to give you something that looks like this. And at the same time, you can sit there and go, Rob's wrong, which I'm sure you're about to do. That, I think, is the point I'm making. But you said you've seen this before. Sure, I want. So I want. If you want is, specifics, I'm talking general. I've seen anthology horror series before, and this has done nothing to intrigue me beyond it. Even the crazy visuals with the witch. Sure, I'll give you the point. I might have never something seen something in that light before. That does not matter to me when I'm looking at cinemodities for this. In terms of anthology horror series, I've seen weird shit before. That is nothing in terms of a cinemodity unless it has the story to bolster it. I'm being really specific with my cinemodity right now. But that's like going to a restaurant ordering a hamburger and because you don't like the bun saying this hamburger had no buns to zero out of five stars. It's because there's one aspect of... In my opinion, yes. I'm totally fine with that. Horrible food critic. Horrible (laughs) food critic. Not subscribing to your magazine. Again, it's his opinion. Uh, yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready for he, yours. I'm he's entitled. No, like I said, I, I I agree that this is not. It doesn't. I concede that this does not have a fan base. It really doesn't. Most people who would, that likes this stuff are mad the fact that it's not polished. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the fact that it's not polished is its greatest attribute. I and that's the issue. And then no, it's it's not just no. I'm not. Uh, this is not a a masterpiece or a hall of fame. But I think for what it's going for, it does everything you want from a horror anthology series. Because most of them are the comeuppance with a little bit of weird stuff sprinkled in for good measure. Like, again, everybody thinks of the Twilight Zone stuff, like in the the, the Nightmare at 20,000 Feet, or the other one we discussed with the, the beauty the beauties in the eye of the beholder. Yep. Yep. And it's funny, everybody remembers those episodes, yet very few Twilight Zone episodes have something like that. Mm-hmm. Most Twilight, and that's what happened with Tales from the Dark Side. Most episodes do not have that macabre element. 
And I think, again, maybe I did, I'm probably highlighting the best. And this is funny. Rob does not like this show. Yeah, he's like, I want more of it. And I said, you do not, because most of it is not like this. Most, like, there's one episode. Okay, I'm going to tell you an episode of this show that I remember it. I don't know why. I've read the syn- I literally read the synopsis for every single episode. So Okay, so you're going to know. Okay, this is an yeah. episode where there's a guy who's something, something. He's, like, in part of a satanic cult. Mm-hmm. And yet he's, like, uh, there's a, a woman that has, like, a beauty salon, gets, like, a winning lotto ticket. And... The entire episode, all he does is like harass her okay. for like wanting her lot winning lotto ticket because mm-hmm. he's going to use his like winnings to like create like a satanic cult. In the last like thirty seconds of the thing is, oh, she was the leader of the satanic cult all along. That's it. <laughs> like, like it, it's like mm-hmm. it's just it's one set. It's him in her like beauty parlor doing like and he's just following. And you'll know the actress. The actress has like the high. I, I, she was in the TV show. It was either my cousin Skeeter or like uh, <laughs> Bow Wow, the Bow Wow okay. Nickelodeon show. Yeah, she, she was like the only white woman in either one of those shows, and she had the high pitched, squeaky voice like this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, you'll know who it is if I told you who, if I knew the name. But like that's what this show normally. Like I said, I've only gotten through like the first season, and I gave up. Like the only other episode that has actual actors in it that I can remember is has Victor Garber. Oh, okay. And the woman that yeah. was in uh, Suspiria, the, the lead actress in the original Suspiria. Okay. And she, like, is always crying, and she goes to Victor Garber, and he, like, collects her tears, and he's like, don't ever go into this room. Yeah. And she's like, okay. And she goes into the room. He's, like, collected tears from, like, people over the centuries. And she's like, what are you doing, Victor Garber? And he's like, be careful. And while she's in there, she, like, has, like, a stroke, and she, like, knocks all of his bike files, his tears <laughs> over. And he's like, look, what, you, what have you done? And she like walks out and she's happy. And that's the episode. And I'm like, what is like, what? It's like, what is, what is, is there a moral to this? Like, this wasn't even entertaining. It's just <laughs> like weird for the sake of being weird without any sort of like meaning behind it. And that's kind of what this show is for the most part. No, I, I, I think these four episodes, maybe I should clarify it, are cinemodities. Mm-hmm. I do not think the show is, is at large is i think the show at large is rather mundane like it's when you go through imdb and look at the ratings this show like the first like six or seven episodes all have pretty good ratings and as the show goes on like the ratings (laughs) get lower and like the average gets lower and lower and lower and it's kind of like outside of trick-or-treat or or the closet Mm mm-hmm i don't don't know what the rest of them had i don't know what word processor or uh, the stubborn one has but those are really the only two that have any sort of like high rating. Other okay. than that, and I'm talking by high, I mean like 7.3. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm not talking about like 9.9s or anything like that. And I think, and like I said, no, this is not a show that's really that memorable. It's, it's, it has its moments, mm-hmm. but there are very few and far in between. Yeah, I think okay. that's, I think that's what it is. So I think uh, the, the, the episodes I gave Rob are not indicative of a show at the show at large. Fair. That's, that's fair. That's fair. And it's worth noting that they actually did a continuation of this show that I did not know oh. about until because this show is a weird thing where they made Creep Show, Creep Show eventually led into this. They made a Creep Show two, which is not really. I saw it once. I don't remember anything about it other than there's. I think Rob would like it. There's one segment where it's a bunch of teenagers like swimming in a lake and they get stuck like on a floating. Uh, not even want to call it, like, like a floating pontoon. Like mm-hmm. it's just like you, you, you probably know. So you have like the oil, the empty oil drums on like a 
like a bunch of like two by fours nailed together. Oh, sure. And there's, like, yeah, yeah. and there's like, and they're all stuck on this thing. And there's like a black like blob in the water. And like, if they go into the water, it like melts them. Okay. And that's it. <laughs> that, like, that's all I remember. There's like, I think there's at least a couple more segments, but I don't remember any of the sure, others. Sure, sure. Yeah. <laughs> there was that. And then you have, um, I think it came out, I think in the early 90s. But you had Tales from the Dark Side. Mm-hmm. Then they had Tales from the Dark Side, the movie. Yep, I read about that. The Steve, it's funny. The th- I remember I was really excited to watch that. And it's basically, people call that the de facto Creep Show 3. Despite okay. the fact that there is a Creep Show 3, which is like a direct-to-video or like direct-streaming service movie. <laughs> the Tales from the Dark Side movie has three segments. The first one's like a mummy with Steve Buscemi. That's, it's funny because it's Steve Buscemi. But the second segment, I don't remember, but the third segment is shockingly in this vein of what we discussed. Mm-hmm. Rob's not going to like it because he's going to feel it's too predictable. But <laughs> it's really good for what it's trying to go for. Okay, okay. And what else? What? And then there was, then there was a TV show called Monsters, which I did not know about. And it might be, it's imagine this show with even less of a budget. <laughs> okay, right on. <laughs> I've not watched any of it. I know it's on DVD. And it's it's not. I think the whole show's on YouTube, so it's not hard to come by. But it's it's Tales from the Dark Side stripped down even further. Oh man. Okay. Okay. So no, this show has a, an interesting. It's funny. Creep Show has an interesting legacy in that it has impacted many things going down throughout the years. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. No, I I, pre- I appreciate it absolutely. This format, s- stories like this, bite-sized stories that can be intriguing. That's one of my favorite formats of media ever. So no, I that, I, I appreciate it absolutely. Uh, we just disagree on on certain. We're split, Zach. We're split. <laughs> We're split. <laughs> oh, right on, right on. No, but I uh, I think that's a good point that you made. You know, we haven't talked about the whole show. Neither of us have watched the whole show. So we're a little limited in that sense, um, but I'm glad Zach picked the ones he did. Damn straight. All right. Well, anything else about anything else about Monstober? No. Before we do Novstober. <laughs> what, what, what's November? Uh, no, non-existent movie November. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What? Yeah, non-existent movie November or movies that never were. I liked that name. I think that came up at some point. Movies um, that never were. Yeah, it's, you gotta work the month in there somehow. Movies that never, movies that never were. I'll, okay, I'll, I'll think. Movies, movies that, that never were November. Never were November. Yeah, movies that never were November. Movies that never were November. <laughs> Sounds like if we chant that enough, we'll summon something. <laughs> <laughs> no, but yes. Yeah, so we are going, I guess, uh, to to explain exactly what that nonsense we just said was. We're going to be talking about documentaries is that a good way to put it uh yeah we're talking about it's gonna be inter- another uh, interesting facet to the cinemodies discussion where it's like you know we're gonna be talking about the documentaries themselves mm-hmm. all the documentaries are about films that don't exist or in the have in one case it does exist but it's not it's more or less it's available but in a very shady way it's going to be the most confusing month of cinemodities we've ever presented, and I'm so excited about it. <laughs> yes. Every cinemodity snack is just basically invisible food. Rogia tells you what the dish is, but you're not. It's you're told what it is, but you can't eat it. We really wanted to have this on our menu, but here's a 90 minute movie about why we don't. 
<laughs> See, that's the taste. That's the taste of what you guys have in uh, look to, to look forward to in movies that never were Vember. <laughs> as, as we conjure the demon by the end of the month. Yeah, yeah, we gotta gotta uh, make sure we don't say it too many times in quick succession or anything like that. Um, All yeah. right. Well, then I guess the one question is, how do we end this episode? What's our outro, Zach? Gremlins. Uh, Gremlins, Gremlins, Gremlins. Gremlins theme <laughs> in reverse. Well, backwards. I, I think we have we have some uh, vocals to work with from Tales from the Dark Side. The great intro and outro Zach mentioned. We also have some great music from the Inside the Closet episode to work with. We also all have we have all of R. Kelly's Trapped in the Closet to work with. <laughs> so I think I think something like that sounds good. You know, let's get this this dude's voice in reverse. Bye-bye, Monstober. Yeah, it's been fun. It's, it's all downhill from here until next Monstober. <laughs> until Janstober. Oh, <laughs>